listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hikara. And uh, this is, I think, uh, let's double check, but I believe it is episode number 69? Yes, yeah, 69, I was correct. So it is, uh, you know, you're listening to episode number 69. This week on the podcast, uh, my friend Void from the band uh, Nihilus and Gravier down in the uh down in from down in australia um is making his uh return to the podcast um we're kicking off kind of a uh i guess you could say a new series of sorts uh that'll be recurring here and there and um basically what the whole concept is is we're going to be doing covering basically our our favorite black metal albums of all time so we got uh yeah so we're kicking it off with uh under a funeral moon from Dark Throne, and um, the ironic thing is that it's also the 30th anniversary of Under Funeral Moon, so it kind of worked out the two things going hand in hand, right? We, I, when we decided to cover Under Funeral Moon, I didn't know that it was the 30th anniversary. It didn't really register with me, but but then uh, when we were preparing to do it, it came up, and I was like, oh shit! So perfect timing, I guess. You know, as kismet sort of sorts. So yeah. So this episode, um, Void and I discuss the classic "Under a Funeral Moon" by Dark Throne, which yeah, we're gonna be doing more of these episodes in the future. So hope you guys enjoy. I believe the next one we're gonna do is Bathory: The Return of Darkness and Evil, and then we're gonna wait till next year to do Demasteris Domasathanus by Mayhem so that it can also be the 30th anniversary of that album as well. So uh, so that's the plan. But um, before I get into the plugs and everything, I have uh, yeah, what, something to, to feature. Um, my brother and fellow horseman of the podcast Apocalypse, uh, Mike Hill, you know, of the band Tombs, you know, Everything Went Black podcast, Scorpion Throne, has a new project um, that he just released an EP for. Uh, the project is called Begotten Sons. And that's S-U-N-S. Um, and the demo, or not demo, but the EP is called Portraits of Desolation. And uh, it's an amazing EP of kind of doom uh, type of stuff. Um, I guess you could kind of put it in a similar framework as maybe something like Triptychon, but uh, in Mike's own particular kind of way, like which, of course, everything Mike does, he he kind of applies his own. It, everything that Mike does sounds like Mike's music if that makes sense and this is no different it sounds very much in the line with certain types of things that you've heard on tombs but it's like he took certain parts of the tombs sound and kind of focused in on certain certain elements and developed those certain elements that you would uh you know where of tombs maybe it goes this way this one goes this other way and kind of really develops like its own sound that is similar but separate from tombs so yeah, it's much more in the doom type of type of uh, direction. A lot of goth elements, um, and it's a fucking amazing EP. Like I really, really love this EP. I uh, he had sent me some pre uh, pre mixes of uh, some of the songs that I heard, you know, a while back, and then it was really great to hear the final mixes of everything, and it sounds awesome. The EP is amazing. Has amazing ar- album album cover art. Um, and yeah, it's just a fucking killer, killer album, killer EP. And 
and you can get it on Bandcamp. I believe it's uh, the Everything Went Black uh, music.bandcamp.com. You can check it out. So I'm going to feature the first song, uh, which is called History of Burning. It's a fucking awesome song. Awesome EP. Everyone needs to go pick this up like, right away. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to play the song, and then we'll get into the plugs and everything.
that was a, a, a history of burning from Begotten Sons EP, uh, Portraits of Desolation. Like I said, available at uh, everythingwentblackmusic.bandcamp.com. Please go and pick it up and support my brother Mike um, in his endeavors. Uh, you know, it's a great, great EP. Um, it's a really great uh, companion to the Scorpion Throne EP. They're kind of very much in a similar type of vein, similar time I know from his life um, in terms of the feeling on them, but definitely very, very different musically. You know, you can kind of see, but you can see the through line of both of them being mics, but they're very also very, very different at the same time. So really good kind of companion pieces to go listen to Scorpion Throne and listen to this Begotten Sons EP. So please do that as well. You can get both of them at that same uh uh, Bandcamp site, and uh, there'll be a link in the description. So, uh, speaking of Mike and the Horseman, we're going to get into my plugs. So, uh, I belong to a gang of podcasters called the Horseman of the Podcast Apocalypse. Every other Monday, you have Warwolf 666 with Brandon Legion. Every Tuesday, you have Into the Necrosphere with Jackie Smith. Every Wednesday, you have Mike Hill with Everything Went Black. And, of course, Mike and I also have our collaboration podcast uh, that's split between Solnox and, and uh, Everything Went Black called Darkness Weaves, uh, which is uh, working through the work of uh, Carl Edward Wagner, the writer. Uh, every Thursday, Mike Hill returns with Necromaniacs with Mike Scandato uh, and Jeff Kashid. And then uh, Fridays, you have the artist formerly known as Break the Apocalypse, now known as Spitball Media. And at random, intermediate times, whenever he feels like it, I guess, you got Iblis Manifestations with, with from Cheyenne of Trivox. So that's the, the horseman. Please go out and support everybody. Share everybody's podcasts. Spread the word. You follow everybody on social media. And uh, make sure to rate everybody on uh, you know, Spotify or wherever you are listening to your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram at either my name or at Denver Underground Radio, which is the online radio station I run. Um, uh, we have sh- live shows every Tuesday and Thursday, um, both of which start at 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Show Tuesday is called Darklands. It's black metal, death metal, dark ambient, stuff like that. The Thursday show is called The Upstairs Room, and it is uh, dark, dark wave, goth, post-punk, all that kind of stuff. Like I said, you can tune in live at www.denverundergroundradio.com on those nights, or you can go onto our so onto our page on Instagram and uh, follow us there. You can see all our playlists, um, uh, and you can also um, uh, what do you call it? You can uh, get a link to our Spotify playlist as well in the uh, the stories archives. So yeah, so you can uh, at least listen to the Spotify ones, um, then you can see what we share, and um, you can also see all the uh, stuff for the podcast as well. So I'm using that as the the landing page for both. So uh, check that out. And then I have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash soul knocks podcast. It's $2 a month. You get two to four bonus episodes a month. And uh, yeah, the Patreon is about to get a whole lot busier than it's been. The last few months have been a little slow, but... Uh, I got a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I just recorded a, a mega awesome conversation with my friend Joe all about horror of Dracula and Brides of Dracula from my Dracula series. It's a really, really fucking killer episode. Like We really get into uh, into those movies and like really get in, nitty-gritty into the concepts and ideas behind them. And um, 
yeah, I'm really proud of the episode. So that's going to be coming up soon on on Patreon. I also got a one in the works for the next Dracula. Both of those will be coming out um, in October to kind of get caught up. Uh, so I got this one with Joe. I got one that's going to be coming out with Matt Prizo about uh, um, Prince of Dark, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, and Dracula has risen from the grave. Um, and then I'll have some other other types of stuff on the Patreon as well coming up. So I'm going to try to pack in a few, I mean, a bunch, as much as I can. October, I got a lot of a lot of shit coming your way in October for Halloween. And this is, of course, the official first episode of October coming out October first. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys uh, enjoy what I got coming your way for Halloween. I got some really cool episodes. And, uh, yeah, a lot of stuff between the Patreon and the uh, regular feed. Um, yeah, I figured this, this this is a great way to kick it off because this album is one that I do listen to a lot during the Halloween season. It very much has that autumnal darkness about it. It's a perfect album to listen to in these types of uh, eerie nights, say, driving around with the cold wind blowing and the, the leaves falling off of the trees and you have that chill eerie quiet night you know of the, with the wind and you're out in uh, some place in the night and nature where it's like uh, I don't know dark and eerie I remember going to uh, a haunted house uh, up in this place called Heritage Square out in Golden Heritage Square is no longer there but it was this old uh, kind of theme park place that's very similar to some parks that I know that they have out in Pennsylvania and places like that, but you know, it was basically kind of themed like an old Victorian village. Um, and it had like you know, a bunch of like little rides and stuff, and it had like uh, alpine slides. And um, you know, used to go there because I grew up out there, um, and used to go there a lot as a kid. I was there up until very recently, and finally got closed and just sitting there rotting right now. But um, for many, many years. Uh, since I was a, a kid living out there in the 90s, they had this this uh, haunted house called Spider Mansion every October, and uh, I used to go there very you know every year for a long time, um, and uh, it was amazing being out there because Heritage Square is right on the 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 foothills of the mountains, like it was right there on the edge of the mountains. It was in a very it's a, right by Red Rocks, the the uh, amphitheater, which is very famous. It's right down the street from there. And uh, yeah, it had this kind of eerie feeling that that place, particularly later on as it became a little bit more decrepit, um, a little bit more abandoned looking in a lot of ways. Heritage Square just had a really dark, eerie vibe to it. It really felt like um, uh, it should be a horror movie set, you know, like uh, it really, really felt like that. It felt like some horror movie place or, you know. Uh, some sort of haunted, like, old park that, you know, something going on there. And so it was a perfect place to go to this haunted house. And I remember one time I went there, one of the last times I went there before it shut down, um, uh, was, yeah, one of those years where Halloween felt real strong. I was really strong with the Halloween spirit. And I remember driving out there, listening to Under the Funeral Moon, and listening to it on the way back, and it was just, fit perfect like this atmosphere of this how how hallowed eve type of atmosphere of october the moon rising above and looking out and you know just it's like that eerie darkness of being in this place is kind of like we we're the only people pretty much at the haunted house like they w- went us through and we were like one of the only you know it was a very slow night and 
It's just a really dark, eerie night, like one of those nights to treasure in your memory. And uh, so it's one of those memories I have with this album. So it's a very perfect album for this time of year. So hope you guys enjoy. I'm going to kick this off with um, with Chris's pick from this album, which is, of course, Unholy Black Metal. Hope you guys enjoy. Hail Satan. Welcome back to the podcast. This is a, a second time on, which is great. Yeah, thanks for having me back again. I really enjoyed the first time. So uh, hopefully this time should be a bit easier now, now that I've um, got out there into podcast land. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, even though I know you're nervous that first one, I mean, you did you did great. I mean, we did a three hour episode and it went great, and you know, great response. And I thought it was a really good episode, and really enjoyed talking to you. Um, so yeah, I've been looking forward to to doing this one, uh, which we've been uh, kind of had in the works for a little bit, but we're waiting waiting for you to get moved and all all that kind of stuff, which is fine because this episode's going up a little bit later on, you know. So anyway, so. Yeah, cool. I think it's um, it's good to celebrate this album's 30th anniversary too. So I think the timing's worked out perfectly, actually. Yeah, it's funny because it wasn't really purposeful. Was, you know, like, I didn't consciously think that this album is 30, you know, necessarily. Because um, the thing with Under Funeral Moon is that, uh, which of course is what we're talking about <laughs> tonight or today, is... um is that I always associate Under Funeral Moon with um, 1992 because I know that's when they made it. But it yeah. came out in 93, like almost a, yep. year, you know, almost a year after they made it. You know what I mean? So, like, I kind of forget that it came out in 93. Um, yeah. So then, so I didn't really consciously think, oh, it's the 30th day, but it is. It's been the 30, 30 years, like pretty much almost exactly to the day of, of us recording this. So... So yeah, so I mean, it, I think maybe it's just that that kismet or whatever, you know. It's just like uh, that timing, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. No, they've actually just re-released a nice new vinyl version of it. I think uh, smoky coloured vinyl or something that looks quite nice. Might have right. to treat myself to it, even though obviously I've had the album for thirty years. But it'd be nice to get a newer edition. Yeah, I don't have. Uh, actually, don't have any Dark Throne on vinyl. That's that's something I need to to rectify. The um, the thing like, you know, I have I have mul- I actually have multiple copies of all these albums on CDs because I have um I have the the reissues that they did in the early two thousands with the digipack that has like those yep. those videos where they talked about ah, the albums. Yeah, yeah. I, it could be stuck in a computer. You could watch those videos. Yep. Which of course are now on YouTube, like in one long video now. But um, and then uh, I also bought um first editions of all of them as well that I found. So I found a, a or, yeah, like a first edition version of Under Funeral Moon on CD, you know? Yep. So, and I found, I found it's funny, I found a first edition of Transmute Hunger as well, but it was the Australian print for some reason, but I found it. Yeah, the, the Modern Invasion version, that's the version I've got as well, actually. Um, they were licensed to release that back in 94, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's weird because that's that's the that's the one I have. I found like a a, a press of that somewhere. I was like, yeah, I want to get it because because you know I wanted to hear the original masters, you know. Yeah. Cause, yep. Cause totally. One, yeah. I mean, there's not there's not a huge difference between the remaster and the original master actually, but yeah, I mean, there's still one of those things where it's like, yeah, I want to get a. You know, I found I found original copies of of all the first you know those three albums and. Yeah, it's just it's kind of weird to find like the Australian version here in Colorado. Yeah. But you know what I mean. That's what I found. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that, I do remember when that was released. It's actually quite hard to get them. Was it? Yeah, you don't really see too many copies of the peaceful version here. It was funny because Modern Invasion did do that back in the day. They, uh, they, I think they released a version of Morbid Angels Covenant as well. Um, there was a few other albums I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but they, um, yeah, did that. The um, yeah, it works out. I mean, I, I figure we can uh, you know, talk about under funeral moon, what it means to us, and 
talk about yeah. each song and yeah some of the stuff we know about the album that recording of it you know like um i sent you that one i listened to the re-listen probably for the third or fourth time that fenris commentary track for it yep uh, I, I enjoy i enjoy listening to those commentary tracks for actually for the dark zone stuff because i guess i'm just like really fascinated by that stuff and you know i like hearing like fenris talk about it you know um and then yeah, re rewatch those peaceful uh, those 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 videos that were on the reissues. They're on YouTube and some other stuff. Yeah, yeah, I made I made my girlfriend sit down and watch that one with me the other night. Actually, the um, under a funeral moon one. That only went for about ten minutes, but I just rewatched it just so I could get a bit more background. I I pretty much remember most of the details anyway, but it was good to revisit it. Yeah, I like re revisiting those. Like, there's there's the one on YouTube that has all has all four, like Soul Sled Journey, Blaze, and I don't know if you want to translate Hunger, like all combined together. I don't know. Yeah, I to, yeah. And I I um I watched that one the other day. This I watched yesterday. I watched all of them, and I was like, I don't know. It, it's really like um, it's obviously when I got into Black Nose later later than you because it was early two thousands around when this reissues came out and um mm -hmm. i guess like watching those 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 documentary things on this on the you know i used to watch them on the cd you know like and mm. it was really like just inspiring for you know like watching and they're like wandering around the woods and the music's playing while they're wandering around the woods in the video and then they're talking about about the stuff and yeah they're sitting know. there now everywhere around them and things like that yeah, just sitting out in the snow, drinking beer and smoking cigarettes, and talking about like yeah. you know, like <laughs> yep. black metal, and uh, and that was still when when they were you know you know living black metal, you know what I mean, in a way that they aren't now, and um, yeah, like uh, you know that was probably around the same time that they when they, probably around the time they recorded that would have been around the time of hate them, you know, mm. I think. Wow. I've actually revisited a few of their later albums that were not long after sort of Panzer Faust and things like that, like Total Death, Ravishing Grimness, um, Plague Wielder, a lot of those albums. They're probably um, they're great. a bit underappreciated. They're, they're, they're better albums than what people give them credit for, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Like, I personally, I'm a huge Dark Throne fan of everything up to up to and including Sardonic Wrath. Like, yeah. those, those albums... You know, I really do think that Total Death and Ravishing Grimness, Plague Wielder uh, in particular, are very underrated because a lot of people do like hate them in Sardonic Wrath. Like, people yeah. try to kind of like, people definitely appreciate those more. But mm. um, even those can be kind of underrated as well. I think they're great. Like, but definitely like that, that era immediately after Panzerfaust is very underappreciated because, and I don't really understand why. I mean, it's Dark Throne being Dark Throne. I mean, the really good songwriting, you know, like yeah, uh, Nocturnal Culto was record writing most of the songs on those albums, um, particularly Ravishing Grimness and Plague Wielder. I think Fenders only did one song each album, um, and they just yeah, they just have they, they have this very like very special feeling to them. I feel like, and I think that I think what happened with those albums is that um, because they were on Moonfog and because all the other all the other Moonfog bands were doing like really like kind of lame stuff you know i think that um and then they like satyr put those like horrible covers to like play wielder and stuff you know like the weird red cover mm. that was kind of like kind of cruddy you know and i think 
I think it really was like a, a case of a lot of guys like not actually listening to the albums and just judging it by the cover and just saying a bunch of bullshit. You know what I mean? Because that's just like I've heard people say stuff about Plague Wielder, for example, in particular. That's just not true. You know that it that I've heard I've I've seen I've heard guys say stuff about the album that basically means that they never listen to it. They're just, they're just repeating. Mm-hmm bullshit that they heard from someone else that you know that's something sure. that happens in the black metal scene sometimes it's like this kind of like sheep behavior where they just repeat what other people say you know what i mean yeah yep and while we're on the topic just for record's sake a lot of people go on about this um unholy trinity of dark throne albums which i think is like a bit of a crock actually because i think panzerfaust was the last album in that i think panzerfaust belongs with the three albums before it yeah, I kind 100%. of feel that though it should be an unholy quartet, not an unholy trilogy. I kind of feel that Panzerfaust was sort of the end of that era. Then they moved into the next era, which was you know, uh, yeah. Ravishing Grimness and all, uh, Total Death and all those kind of albums. But I kind of think that um, Panzerfaust was still had the spirit of the first three black metal albums, and I think that they belong in the one group. That's yeah. just my opinion. <laughs> well, and I, I think that. Uh... Fenris and Nocturnal Cult would probably agree with you on that too. You know, Fenris has, you know, basically said that, you know, Panzerfaust is just a continuation of Transylvania Hunger in a lot of ways. You know, it's just like, it's just then they decided to do, you wanted to do some more Celtic Frost stuff on that one, you know, and, and so it's like, but it really is like done in the same pocket of time, you know, it was, yeah. like, it was recorded in like 94, right? You know, like, yep. Um, yeah, it's all from that same period of time and uh, recorded on the same studio that Transfer Hunger was done on, the same like little Porta studio, you know? Yeah. Four, four track. Uh, it's just done a little bit different. It had a different, slightly different sound on it, you know? But it still yeah, sounds. Yeah, the vocals were a bit. I love the vocals, though. They're so fucking psychotic. Like, I love it. But <laughs> I will say that that's one album that the remaster is better than the original because. Mm. Because the remaster, I remember my old CD copy that I had from the, you know, like old Moonfog CD. Yep. Um, whenever the vocals came in, the music kind of like decreased a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. like, like kind of like, but now like the new CD, the new master that you listen to on like Spotify or something sounds like way, it sounds really powerful actually. Like, oh, cool. Yeah. Like it doesn't, the vocals don't overtake everything like it did on the old version. It actually like, makes you appreciate even more like the the heavy parts like the heavy songs sound even better you know what i mean so yeah yeah quintessence is a great song too actually yeah that's a great one yeah and i i love how fucking unhinged uh nocturnal cultist vocals are in that album they're just like fucking barbaric especially especially when you think about who wrote the lyrics to that song too (laughs) yeah (laughs) the um yeah i definitely agree with you i mean and it could even point out too that in a way, um, you know, like, yeah, definitely Total Death, Ravishing Grimness, and Plague Wielder represent kind of like a trio in a way. Particularly Ravishing Grimness and Plague Wielder are a duo. Uh, Nocturnal Koto was saying something in one of those uh, commentary tracks where he's saying that he feels like a lot of their albums kind of come in twos, which kind of makes sense too, um, in a way. Because yeah, if, if you think right. about it, like, um, if you think about it, like, in a lot of ways, Ablaze and the Northern Sky into and Unho- Under a Funeral Moon represent kind of a duo because those are, you know, actual band albums, right? Like where, yeah, that's true. 
um, everybody was playing. And um, in a lot of ways, you know, the thing about Under Funeral Moon is that it, it's essentially like the quintessence of Dark Throne in this, in their playing black metal. You know what I mean? Like in a lot of ways, you know, and, and it was them being a band rehearsing, playing, which wouldn't happen again until Total Death Era, but really not until um, Ravishing Grimness and like, you know, whatever it was like 99 or whatever. Right. Like, uh, because uh, basically between, I mean, I know that, you know, like Total Death was recorded like where um, Fenris recorded, you know, um, drums and guitars on his songs. And then uh, Nocturnal Culto, did, he did not record drums. But he did, you know, he does guitars for his songs, but it was done kind of like a weird way. Yeah. It wasn't really until Ravishing Grimness that they started like really rehearsing and playing together. So basically from you know, once they finished Under Funeral Moon and Nocturnal Culto and Zephyrus like fucked off to North Norway, right? Like in like I think the end of ninety two or whatever, beginning of ninety three. Mm. Um basically like uh they didn't rehearse for really in, until like ninety six, you know? <laughs> so like uh it wasn't like, you know, Transmission Hunger and Panzerfaust are both basically Fenris doing everything and then nocturnal coming in and doing vocals you know what i mean yeah exactly yeah that's exactly right and i think it did say in that video that um that you can kind of hear the sound the band sounds like a live band on under a funeral moon too i think and i think being yeah, the definitely. last album with zephyrus so i think um i really think it was a shame that he was no longer in the band because i felt that his you know the, the three of them made a great band you know yeah and um you can hear that. You can hear that they actually, because they said on the video there, um, Nocturno Culto said they rehearsed as a three-piece with vocals too. So it would have been great to have heard what some of those rehearsals sounded like. Well, you, you actually can hear what those rehearsals sound like. Um, there's a, let me look it up. I, my, my friend sent me a copy of this. It got released um, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And um trying to remember what it's called, Angel. Uh, I have I have it on CD, but and you can you can listen to it on YouTube as well. Um, okay, but uh, it's called. Uh, um, where did it go? Um, it's weird, Jay. It's not on Metal Archives for some reason. Um, oh wait, no, there it is. It's called, um, okay, so it's a compilation called The Wind of 666 Black Hearts. <clears throat> okay. It was released by Peaceville 2016. Um, it has a rehearsal from 1991 um, mm -hmm. for them preparing for Under Funeral Moon. And then it has a rehearsal from 1992 with them preparing for Under Funeral Moon. And so it has like Summer of Dead Vocal Holocaust, Crossing Triangle Flames, Under Funeral Moon, The Dance of Eternal Shadows, and Unholy Black Metal. Raw rehearsal versions. Um, um, Crossing Triangle and Dance of Eternal Shadows don't have vocals, but the other ones do. And How do they sound? It sound good. It's, it, basically, it sounds like 
the Vlad Tepes version of Dark Throne. You know what I mean? Like it, it kind of oh, sounds like, yeah, it kind of sounds like the, uh, it's kind of like uh, the sound quality of like a better Vlad Tepes demo, you know? Yeah, cool. Like if oh, you listen to Warp, you know, March or something. Yeah, nice. It's very good. Yeah, I definitely recommend checking that out. And um, yeah, I know like from everything I've heard from them at this time, they were just like, like possessed by black metal, basically. You know, like they did uh, Blaze in Northern Sky. Uh, if, you know, Fenris was part of the, like the inner circle of like the guys and, you know, around Helvete and everything, you know, they're all hanging out and um, yeah, living, right. living, living black metal, like hundred percent, you know what I mean? Rehearsing like in, in some type of bunker type of studio rehearsal space or whatever. And, you know, like um, going out to the cemeteries and, and corpse paint, you know, just for fun, you know, and, mm. <laughs> and, um, and, um, just like, it, sound, it sounds like every time they, they talk about it, it seems like a very special, magical time for them, you know? Yeah. And all the photos from those sessions are iconic, I believe. Like, I think they're some of the best um, black metal photos there are, to be honest. The um, early Dark Throne album covers and whatnot, you know, they were the first band that started to do that. And I'm just looking at the cover now of Under a Funeral Moon and that photo of Nocturno Culto, it's brilliant. It yeah. sets the mood of the album perfectly. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing cover with like the skull and everything. One thing that I've always thought about too in this time period, like I don't know, like I just feel like they they were. Fenris has said that he felt like he was like possessed in this time, you know, like he, like the lyrics and everything. He just felt like he was possessed, like he was like channeling this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, uh, and I definitely think that's true. Like that, that's how this music sounds and feels like. Like they were like, like into like another another world in a way sometimes like particularly once we get into the track by track you know like some of the songs like natasha internal slumber for example just sound like they're coming from outside you know what i mean like they just they they don't sound like anything you've ever heard before or since in a nah. way you know like and um i mean obviously they're they're you know i know that Penners has said for this album, their number one influence was pretty much the return of Darkest and Evil era Black Bathory, yep. which you can hear on a lot exactly. of Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then you can so, also hear the influence of uh, of um, Mayhem. Uh, they didn't have, they only had Live in Leipzig, really, and Death Crush. And so he said the Live in Leipzig tape that they had was very important for them. And then so was the Necrolust demo from Vader. Yeah. Yep. I guess. Nocturnal had like some type of, um, you know, fifth generation cassette rip of it that had all this tape his fizz and stuff. And they, they really liked the sound of that. And they modeled like a lot of what they did on these first two albums off of that. Yeah. I heard that um, when they went into the studio, they played the engineer. I can't remember who they actually got to do it. Um, it was um, engineered by Bidar. I'm not sure who that guy is. Yeah, because they recorded this in um, Creative Studios Creative. again. Yeah. Yeah, in June. Um, yeah, but they apparently played him um, The Return of Darkness and Evil by Bathory, and they said, this is the sound we want. I think they came up with an even colder sound again, to be honest. Like those um, really buzzsaw guitars, they just give it a great atmosphere. The drum sound, for me personally, is perfect. And I love the fact that, the bass is a, a lot more dirtier. It's kind of got a 
bit of a distorted motorhead feel to it. Like not a lot of bands use much distortion on bases these days, but um, I think I it, it suited suited that sound really well because they were obviously playing as a three piece. It just gave their sound a bit more of a dirtier sound. Yeah, I think that's something that is important to point out. Is like Blaze Under the Sky was done with Zephyrus and, and Nocturnal both playing guitar with Dog Nielsen on bass. Yeah, correct. And, uh, which is funny because he already he already left the band, but then they brought him in. He still recorded the bass on it because. But um, this album, yeah, uh, it's three piece. You have Zephyrus doing guitar, Nocturnal uh, doing bass, and Fenner's doing drums, and then I guess. Rather than writing the songs together, each song was written by um, different guys, basically. Mm. Yep. Um, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I should have pulled out my found my CD so I can look at who wrote each I've one. one in front of me. <laughs> yeah, because I, I know, like on the CD, it shows the the notes. But I know that you know, like each song was written by different people like I know Atash Internal Sleep was, record, was written by Nocturnal Culto and um, um, on the writing's way too small I can't even read it man <laughs> yeah. and I've got me reading glasses on I still can't read it <laughs> it says who wrote, writes the song yeah I think um, I think um, yeah I know I know that I think Unholy Black Metal was written by um my Fenris, I think. I'm not sure. I know that. Uh, I know that uh, Zephyrus wrote in. I did die be a Skolgans Favin, um, and I think he also did. He might as either on Holy Blackman or Summer of the Diabolical Holocaust. I forget which. But um, yeah, I think they all kind of you know did two or three songs each or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, but I mean, you wouldn't know that different people wrote the songs because they all sound very cohesive. They yeah. all sound like they belong together. Obviously, the band members all had a really good synergy at the time and they could all uh, channel the same forces and that's why they, you know, achieve that kind of atmosphere with the songs because realistically, there's not one bad song on this album. No, they're all good. Yeah. It's like every song is perfect and, and um, yeah, I feel like they were they were all just on the same page. Like It's like one of those times where a band is in perfect unison. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where everybody is on exact same page. Everybody is, they, you know, I know that they're like, you know, particularly I, I think they were smoking a lot of, of marijuana at the time from what it sounds like they won't. <laughs> and I feel like they were pretty like in zoned in, you know what I mean? Where they're almost like probably like, uh, yeah, that kind of thing that happens with bands sometimes where when they're so much on the same page, it's almost like telepathic in a way. That's kind surprise of the album. Surprise the album wasn't a bit slower than if they're all um, hooked while they wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the uh, the one thing that um, one thing I really like about this album too is that it's like it's like it's like um, you know it's recorded basically live. You know, like they record all the, the basic tracks together. You know, each song. Yep. And um, and one thing that I really like is that. That that there's only one guitar track, one bass track, one drum track, right? Yeah, and then and you can really hear that. Yeah, and there's solos that happen at time, you know, that come over. You know, they they did record a solo as like an overdub, but so yeah. so it's not like that drops the guitar drops away for the solos or something. Um, but it's still like you know, 
um, just one guitar, one bass, and drums. And then, you know, obviously, I think, you know, some overdubs with um, some of the extra drum sounds, like, um, you know, like there's some like uh, um, bell sounds and like that, like uh, crazy, a few, few points, there's that kind of crazy, almost like a gong sound or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yep. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like, I really like that because there's something to be said for that kind of primitiveness in the sense that this album is, is like, it's, it's like, um, it's very, it's not claustrophobic per se, but, you know, it's very, like, it's creating a soundscape, right? It's creating a soundscape where, like, you know, guitars and bass are going along. They're not, like there's not like a super dynamic range of, um, of tone essentially, but then like nah. you'll have like this humongous fucking fuck all like bass Tom boom, boom, like just fucking hit the sound, you know, like it's very extreme, like kind of soundscape they've created with the music. Right. Yeah. And, um, and in a way, some of, some of the riffs are quite primitive too. And the bass just sort of plods along underneath, but it's got that a real good groove and a rhythm to it that just, that just gives it a heap of good bottom end and it just complements the more trebly guitar sound as well and just gives it that great sound. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's something, part of what works so well with the album is that because there's only three instruments for most of it, like um, there's a lot of, there's space, so you can hear each instrument very clearly. And this is something that I always found very puzzling was I would see when I first got into you know black metal and this album and stuff I'd see like reviews of people being like can't hear the bass and I'm like this uh, he's like are you fucking can you like are you an idiot like you know like well, I know the bass is distorted but it's very very audible on this album like you can hear each instrument like there's I think it's it's, it's always found that kind of puzzling you know because it's just like maybe it, like people aren't used to bass being distorted this way. You know, but I like it. I, I think that it works so well because basically the guitars and the bass kind of, you can hear each one individually, but then they also work together because they're yeah. kind of filling in each other's sonic, sonically, but they're both like this kind of buzzsaw like type of type of tones, which I really love, you know? Yeah, I love that sound too. I don't think enough people have tried to utilize it. I'm, I'm surprised more people haven't, re I mean, I'm sure plenty of people have been influenced by this album, but I've never really heard another album that sounds as good as this. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of peculiar because, like, um, out of, like, a lot of Dark Thrones albums, I think this is peculiar, for some reason, one of the ones that's least ripped off. Like, most people, you hear a lot of Transylvania Hung rip-off albums. Yeah. Um, and I've even heard some bands that try to rip off A Blaze in the Northern Sky. But I, there's not a lot of bands that seem to, to do this album per se, and um, which I find odd. Like because, to me, this is like a blueprint album for black metal. I mean, this has like the primitive riffs, the the atmosphere, the, you know, the unearthly like fucking sepulchral atmosphere a black metal a you know, black metal should have, and it has like the, the primitive ugliness and, and the sound. Like I really love this kind of guitar tone you know like that i've always just i really love black metal that has this kind of yeah i don't even know how to explain it it's like this buzzsaw garbage can type of guitar tone every you know kind of transistory guitar tone that you get yeah, like i guess yeah i don't know how, how it's like that it's like 
I know that they recorded the guitar like with like you know probably like I mean a lot of the guys back then used like you know maybe an HM2 through like a little PV little tiny PV amplifier. Like I don't think it was recorded. I think that's exactly what they used was a PV Rage. And now but now since I've learned that, I'm really upset that I sold the one I had when I was much younger because I had one of those little 15 watt PV Rages back in the day. <laughs> yeah, and I know like a lot of those band again. I saw that in a video. Um, there's this YouTuber guy, Boris T, he did a video where he went to this, um, uh, this exhibit in Norway, like, a, like the, that's like in a black metal exhibit and, uh, it has some yep. stuff from like, um, some instruments from Emperor from back in the day. And it has like their, their, their little PV amplifier they used to record like Raft of the Tyrant, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, yeah, like, I mean, and that's like all those guys are just using like crappy like PV amplifiers and stuff or, you know, like I know that Darktone used Marshalls like on the, you know, before that, but I don't, but when they did black metal, they stopped, didn't, I don't think they used the Marshalls, but. Yeah, it gives you a much warmer sound, I guess, but I've always used Marshalls. I don't know why I've just always found them to be the most satisfying amps to use in a band situation anyway, but I think. Maybe to record. I'm actually keeping an eye out for a um a PV just to get a bit more of a range of sounds. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like you know, a lot of guys use Marshalls. I mean, you look at yeah, Euronymous had uh, the Marshall or Tom G Warrior. You know, you can get really you know good black metal tone on Marshalls too, right? But um, yeah, they for this kind of tone, I know they use this little you know little PV and um, probably yeah, I know like some type of and Fenders said that they had like big like pedal board, like with like um, you know distortion and and uh, and reverb and stuff, you know, and um, and just mm. ran it through just like little amplifier basically, and that's how they got the tone. And they ran the bass through a P, like a little PV as well. <laughs> yeah, right. And, I like the drum sound as well. So I think all he uses is two four toms. They're the only toms he uses for the album. Yeah, I think um, I think he said in, in one of the things I listened to, he had a bass drum, a snare, I think a hi hat, a crash, and then a four. I think I think it's actually just one big four tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like, great. Just real. But yeah. I think the drumming, the drumming's like underrated on that album. I think the drumming on that album's pretty much perfect to me. I mean, I'm not a, <laughs> by any means a virtuo drummer at all, but to me, that drumming style is, like, exactly what I need to hear. Yeah, me too. Like, to me, the drumming is, like, the – it's perfect. You know, it's, like, you know, and and because they, they – you know, Dark Throne never recorded with a click or nothing, like, I feel like that also is great because the album has a very, like, natural feeling with the drumming and the and the tempos and stuff like that. You know, like, it has that kind of tempo in, in a lot of the songs that – yeah, a kind of like slow, fast tempo, you know, where it's blasting, but it's not like super fast, you know, like they kind of like that Celtic, Celtic frost style of um, drumming that 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 kind of beat that he plays a lot on that album is very Celtic frost influenced. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of Celtic frost and the Hellhammer and a lot of Bathory, and you know, like yeah, it just has like. It has that kind of thing where it's like it's not um and the songs have like you know like the songs kind of vary like you have the you know some songs that are 
all fast. A couple of them are, but like a lot of them change, you know, they'll be fast and then have like cool, like breakdown, slower parts, mid tempo, you know, like the songwriting on this album is fucking amazing. You know, that's one of the big things that's great about this album. Yeah. And it's quite, quite a simple album, but yeah, you're dead right. The songwriting is what makes it great too. I think it's a bit overlooked, the quality of the songwriting. Um, one of the interesting things I found about re-watching the video the other day was um, Nocturno Colto spoke of when they recorded the album. It was a um, they were, it was uh, completely inspired by Bathory, um, Hellhammer, Celtic Frost. But th- when they recorded it, it was like a tribute to all those bands. It wasn't necessarily like they were, you know, trying to create their own music. They were just like paying homage to all their old favourites. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think what's interesting about that is that they're they're kind of trying to pay tribute to their old favorites, but then at the same time, like, um, you know, creating their own sound, you know, like creating their own thing. And um, I think that's what's great about this era of black metal was that pretty much all the guys were being influenced by the same same things, essentially, you know, the same mm. core black metal stuff, like the black thrash stuff, all that kind of, you know early yeah. you know some early death metal uh but they're all like um using that same basic say, set of influences but then creating like something like very unique you know what i mean yeah and i think it, it was sort of like almost created by accident really like they wanted to do their version of the return of darkness and evil by Bathory, and i think yeah they've created something even colder again so realistically by paying homage to their um you know the those who came before them they've um just you know created an even newer breath of fresh air which 30 years later still sounds as relevant today as it did back then yeah i agree the um like that's the thing that these albums don't don't age you know um this album like i've listened to countless times over the years and i never get tired of it i can put it on right now and listen to the whole album all the way through and it it doesn't get old at all you know yeah never never gets old for me i still remember the first time i listened to it you know yeah like uh what when did you when did you first hear the album let's see that before we get into track by track yeah okay cool um it would have been not long after it was was released so you know, being of the, I think I must have been about 16 when it came out. Um, I was already well well aware of A Blaze in the Northern Sky. That became an instant classic between, you know, the group of friends I had at high school and that all listened to death metal and black metal and things like that because there was no real black metal scene at the time when A Blaze in the Northern Sky came out. It was a lot more, it was a lot different to a lot of the things we were listening to because um, they were more death metal based, I guess. And um, yeah, just the, just the, it had a real caveman feel to it, like the drumming, everything just sounded so good and primitive and it just sounded totally evil and I just loved it from the minute I heard it. But when when um, Under a Funeral Moon came out, it was even colder again and I, it, I was just like, wow. I mean, how on earth did they come out with something so fucking... This is the first time I'd ever heard an album that, you know, really gave me that spine-chilling cold feeling that you know a great black metal album can give you and i think that i wasn't prepared for that and i was like you know it was really blown away by even when i was sitting there listening to it i think i was listening to it down in my parents garage because they've got a garage uh, 
about 50 metres from the house and my dad's got a gym, still has to this day. And I think I was might have been either down there either sneaking cigarettes or working out. I can't remember which one I was doing. And, um, yeah, I was listening to Under a Funeral Moon and I just – it was night time and it, they live in a pretty isolated area and it was just it just suited the mood really well. Even the length of time between each songs, it was like it was like eight to ten seconds. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And it would stop and then the next song would come in out of nowhere and it was like, Wow, you know, it was just I don't know, it just made the whole album just sound a lot more mysterious and Yeah, the the whole eight, um eight seconds between each song thing that Fenris did was I, I <laughs> I thought it was very, uh, I still find it very, like, um, um, what's the word? Uh, it's so, like, diff so weird in a lot of ways, you know, like, we're not, you know, like, um, like, you don't hear very many bands doing that, you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of gives the songs, like, the new songs more impact when it starts, too, and it creates a bigger break, and then when, yeah, the next song comes in, it's like, seems to be more impactful. I don't know what that extra three or four seconds gives it, but it seems to work. I think it's just because it's just like, it's just like a little, just a little too long. You know what I mean? Where you're just kind of like, okay, all right, let's, okay. Oh, there it is. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it catches you by surprise. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Sometimes, like, and I haven't listened to it in a while, and you put it on, you're, I'm still like, I'm like, oh, right, that's right. There's like this long pause in between each song. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. 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 I think um, when I got Dark Throne was it wasn't too. I mean, it was a little. They weren't like the first black metal band I got to. You know, like they they came a little bit later. Um. Like I've gotten, um, I'd already been listening to like Bathory and um, Emperor and, you know, I even had like Carpathian Forest and Celtic Cross and stuff. And then I finally was able to track down Dark Throne albums because I, I was trying to find them, you know, but that's back in mm -hmm. the day. I was like, you know, 16 or 17 or whatever, where where I didn't, I couldn't order online yet. You know what I mean? So I had to yeah. try to find them in the stores. And finally I found, I found a store that had all the Dark Throne albums and um, um, and I um, I bought I bought them in order so it was funny because I I bought one I bought Blaze Norton Sky right and then then the next week when I I went and bought Underfield Moon the next week I went and bought Transylvania Hunger you know what I mean mm -hmm. like so so I kind of like listened to each one like um and uh so blazes in north sky was my first dark throne album i heard um but uh uh and for a long time i you know that was you know that, that one really had a special place for me i really um like and it still does like it still like gives me that this this great feeling when i listen to that album i love the i love the sound of that one too it's more powerful than this one in a lot of ways you know the drum sound is is more powerful and stuff you know yeah i agree um, i mean honestly but, that's that's so close. That'd be a nine and a half if um, Under a Funeral Moon was a ten. Like they're so they're, they're as good as each other, really. Yeah, but the thing with Under a Funeral Moon is that it's more pure. Like the songwriting is more focused. You know what I mean? Like, um, 
then like because like a boys in the Northern sky like the songs change a lot more you know what i mean like they're a lot <clears throat> they're a little bit longer they still got some of that death metal influence you know yeah there's a fair and, fair bit more melody too like there's a lot more lead guitar going on and stuff as well yeah it's a little bit more a little bit more fancy in a way like but you know it's, it's still great but i definitely was very attracted when I first put on Under Funeral Moon to just the whole thing, I never really heard anything that sounded like that really, you know what I mean? Like, except for maybe uh, some punk, punk stuff that I have, you know, listened to before, you know, like that had maybe like a similar sound quality, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, I yep. heard like, you know, Discharge and Rudimentary P9 and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Because uh, I was into punk and goth and stuff before I got into black metal. Um, so I kind of like the sound of it kind of reminded me more of something like that um like or subhumans uk or something where it had that kind of more caustic type of type of type of sound so mm. it wasn't like completely like nothing but then like the songwriting and the the atmosphere was something that i you know was very like unique like um so it was, it was like on one hand like i could i could dig into the, the sound itself because like i understood that sound i always liked that type of sound I was listening to punk, but this was like more extreme, taking it further, darker, you know what I mean? Like um, very, very unique, like, and uh, definitely made a huge impact when I finally heard this album. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely my favorite Dark Throne album and uh, probably always will be, you know, because I think it's the most like, it's just so pure and it's so focused and simplistic in a lot of ways, but very, very like sophisticated at the same time with his songwriting you know what i mean like and and even the production i feel like like the thing that's great is that you know they worked with that sound engineer who had no problem with letting them do create their vision you know they had this vision of what they want to sound they wanted to have this bass you know the floor tom like like just like overtake everything and everything being like just extreme and you know like i really like that type of approach of they're they're approaching this the the recording on all levels like the the production itself has to has to match the atmosphere of the music you know what i mean like and they're not afraid to push it to like an extreme you know what i mean yeah totally i mean right. and i love the amount of reverb they use and things like that the vocals are phenomenal as well probably and again probably the best vocal performance for um a dark throne album for me personally yeah, I don't. I, I will say that I also really like Nocturnal's vocal performance and some of the later Dark Throne stuff a lot too. Like, but uh, yeah, this this is a great vocal performance from him. Like he's, you know, he he was for a long time like a really, you know, he's just he's a great vocalist. I mean, the last few albums haven't been as good, but um, you know, like even with the Dark Throne era era that I don't like, uh, I can always appreciate his vocals. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The um. Yeah, and his vocal performance on this is great. I love the reverb on his voice. The thing that I think I love the most when I first heard this album is just the atmosphere. Uh, it just has such a autumnal like um, feeling, like you're wandering through like a graveyard, like at night, and there's like some type of like you know sorceress wraith like wandering around or something. You know, it just says, yeah. "Yep." It's just kind of yeah. a similar feeling I always felt from like the return of darkness and evil. I always felt like that album sounded like it was written and recorded in like a moldering 
cat tower somewhere you know what i mean like like with like some kind of sorcerer like reciting stuff out of his out of his like you know have um, these manuscripts his manuscripts like like you know yeah. that that are like you know bound in children's like skin or something you know like that kind of vibe <laughs> you know what i mean like that's kind of yeah this kind of has that same like dusty like kind of cold feeling you know what i mean yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know. I totally agree. That's you know the reason why it's stuck with us for all these years, and why it's still a highly revered album to this day. I don't really read too many reviews because I mean, if you look at metal archives and things like that, there's like a multitude of people that have you know tried reviewing a lot of these albums. You know, people that may not have got into black metal until ten years ago or whatever. But I, I can tell you this now that when when I did buy magazines when this album was released, like I did not see one negative review whatsoever. Like everyone was very positive about this release and I think they saw it for what it was. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, like Boys Under Sky had already been the palate cleanser and even that album I think was pretty positively received by a lot of people because they felt like it was like the next step and this one was the next, next step. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, one thing I and I like this album. This album is like one of my favorite albums to listen to during the fall. You know, like mm. like around Halloween, has that kind of Halloween feeling for me. That in some weird way almost connects it even to you know Danzig or something because it's something I also listen to during the fall. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit different for me. I guess um, when I when I lived, grew up in Victoria, like winters do get a lot colder down there. It gets foggy and. It does snow in some areas, but up here in um, sunny Brisbane, winter's just mild. It's a tropical area, so it's not the most, you know, you don't get too many times where you go, oh, this is the perfect weather for black metal, but you just have to uh, close your eyes and imagine you're there. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's probably the problem of being in a, in a warmer place, yeah. Like, um, uh, yeah here we have we have seasons so is this album is that you know this is a good one to listen to in fall or, or i mean you know um winter or spring as well you know i can listen to it in the middle of summer too and, and still feel the same feeling but uh yeah that's exactly this, right i'd have this, to crank the air conditioning up so i'll get cold <laughs> yeah but it definitely has that particular feeling for me that reminds me of the time around halloween and um uh very much like like Chancellor and Hunger is like my winter album, you know. I like to listen to that during winter, walk, preferably walking yep. around in the forest, like filled with you know snow. Um, and then Blaze and Northern Sky is a kind of album that can be, you know, I can listen to anytime, really. Yeah, but particularly like yeah, it's uh, got got a bit more energy too. Yeah, it's, it's that, that one you can listen to, you know, and on a film too. But yeah, those is definitely one that that's good at any time of year. Yeah, the first 36 years of my life, I lived down in Victoria um, in the town Ballarat, which does get, it does get cold in winter. So you can get down to minus two or three quite often in winter and whatnot. And then the daytime temperatures will only be sort of eight to 10 degrees Celsius. Sorry, not Fahrenheit. Um, so I can sort of, I've lived in a climate that's been more four seasons and I can sort of, uh, recreate that atmosphere because you know i used to write a lot of music in winter and stuff down there so i've still sort of got that i can still tap into that vibe right yeah, yeah. but then yeah there's like the other type 
type of vibe when you're like in a warmer place that of course kind of ties into like i, I don't know during summer i like to i like i'll listen a lot more to like um you know sarcophago and stuff like that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah, but, yeah totally this album but yeah here here you can also just go up to we have the mountains like right next to, to where i am we can go up any and Parts of the mountains feel like Norway, you know, so it's kind of nice. They can just like, escape the heat sometimes and just go up there and feel like you're in Norway. Yeah, they're quite, big. they're quite big, the mountains in Colorado, I believe. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of big mountains here and everything. And uh, and there's literally that, yeah, parts of it that pretty much look exactly like how the mountains do in Norway, which is cool. Yeah, it's a little bit different here. Sort of just to the north of where I live now, we've got the Glasshouse Mountains, which is actually right near the Australia Zoo, which is uh, Steve Irwin's zoo, for anyone that cares. Um, but that it's a totally different climate. Like, it's quite tropical here and, you know. Yeah, it's like the kind of but tropical mountains, mountains and stuff. Yeah, they, they, they're sort of like volcanic plugs that just come straight out of the earth. It's not like a mountain range. They're separate. Yeah, I'll just send you a picture of them. They're really cool. Cool, yeah. Yeah, it's probably a little bit different. I mean, I mean, you get high enough on a mountain, it will eventually turn into, to you know, just because the the elevation, like there's certain types of, the, the you can like have mountains where the base of them is the forest and then like the rainforest and you get up further and all of a sudden it's like a totally different type of environment, you know? Yeah, no, ours aren't that tall, but quite a few people get, you know, stuck on them in certain types of year and they need to be rescued and things like that. And they're not even that tall, but because it's (laughs) like they get quite wet and stuff, people can slip and fall and they've closed a couple of them down. So, yeah, I think people kept getting stuck up there or a fair few people get killed up there actually. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do? Yeah, it's always dangerous on climbing rocks. Yep. (laughs) Well, let's uh, let's go through the uh, album song by song and then talk about let's each do song. it. And uh, all right, so the first song is "Natasha in Eternal Sleep," which was written by Nocturnal Cult, I know. Ah, yes. And uh, sure. th- this album is very otherworldly. I remember trying to learn. I, I learned how to play it a while back, and. That was like very like eye opening for me. Like, like it kind of taught me like some different ways to write riffs because it's so it's very otherworldly. Like the type of writing on the song feels like nothing else. You know, what I mean, there's some bands that have kind of been in, taken inspiration from this. Like, I would say like a band like uh, Urghal, for example, will do some t- riffs like this sometimes. You know, yeah. Tondra and Nafas yeah. kind of have those types of riffs. Like, um. But yeah, like it's a few other bands here and there, but it's very like, uh, I don't know, it's very like spectral in a way, you know what I mean? Yeah, that opening riff is um, it's iconic, to be honest. Yeah. It's so simple too. It's a very simple riff, but, um, you know, it just creates such a cold atmosphere. Yeah, it's not like a really difficult riff, but it's like the note selection is really interesting. Of course, it's kind of going up and down and, um you know like from string to string basically you know what i mean like it's very simple but but the note selection creates this very like sinister feeling you know what i mean yeah it's a very minor like i'm not very well versed in musical theory i'll be the first to admit but it's a very minor um chord progression i guess they use 
Yeah, it's like a minor, dissonant minor type of thing. I think like yeah, I'm not, I'm not like a, I'm not a musical, uh, you know, I don't know like all the terms for everything either. But it ask, it feels like minor key, and then there's like uh, some dissonance as well, you know. Yeah, it's sort of like it got that reverse tritone sort of feel to it. Yeah, exactly. And then of course, like the yeah. song itself is, it also, it's got this dark like, unhuman melancholy to it right like it's not like a it's not like a normal human sadness you know like some music can be it's it's there's like an unhuman quality to the song and to the album as a whole that i really like it if you know they're talking about being possessed i think i have always had this theory which i believe that there is a genuine spirit of black metal that that uh I think is part of what, as a, you know, it could be an egregore or some type of some type of thing, but it emerged in the '80s, right? You know, and it, mm. we can tap into it. You know, we tap into the spirit of black metal, and it, you can get, really get just channel it pure. And that's what I think certain bands do, like like where it's not, it's like um, it's almost beyond like you know, because there's like bands that are more say occult or have different things going on. And that's like part of the spirit of black metal, but there's also just the, the pure spirit of black metal, if that makes sense. And I feel like yeah. this album is channeling this pure spirit of black metal and there's something kind of unhuman about whatever this is. It's unhuman, it's dark, it's like fucking abyssic in a way, you know, and it's very sinister, you know? Yeah, and there is that hopelessness like in that song as well. Like you just feel like you're doomed from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. It's and, like, um, what are you gonna say? I like the fact that it's about a you know a, a witch as well. So it's you know, um, what was I gonna say? Sorry, I've just lost my train of thought. I'm just staring at the album cover. Uh, <laughs> now nah, the lyrics are great to that song too. On a side note, uh, one of my best mates actually named his daughter after this song. So that's uh, another positive thing I can have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Natasha, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think she like 20 years old now. I wonder wonder where the name came from for for them to use that name like yeah. I know that it was written yeah, it's written about a, a witch who was killed and now now yeah, and all this stuff like um yeah, it's a cool it's a cool cool lyric and very you know, it's it's basically it is in a way like a satanic um love song in a way, but yeah. It just <laughs> it has this kind of fucked up quality to it at the same time. Yeah, and that I think the lyrics sort of attribute to that sense of hopelessness as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The um, yeah, I like. I think it's a great like way to start off the album. You know, like it's it's like starting it off like being yeah, this is you know it's a very minimalistic song. You know, it's not too long creates like a great atmosphere to start it off you know what i mean yeah totally yeah it's a simple song you know there's only three or four riffs in it but um yeah they all blend together seamlessly and then i like the way the song ends as well sort of goes back into the intro and there's a few different movements and the bass sounds really great under that main riff as well yeah that's something that that i tried to do on some of my um my demos that I've been re- re- releasing recently is because I only had, you know, four tracks, right. You know, mm-hmm. kind of like how they did, you know, I had one guitar, one bass, one drum vocal, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times what I would, cause particularly if I wrote a riff, kind of like this type of riff where it's like, dun, 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 and you know, kind of riffs like, 
um, I would let I would play the riff and then think in my head, okay, the bass is going to go underneath this, like you know, what I mean, like to to keep it together, right? And so I did that a lot mm -hmm. on on my demos where I would write it with the knowledge that yeah, the bass is going to be maintaining kind of the low end, kind of like how it does on this, you know. Yeah, I've used a similar thing as well when I've recorded some of the earlier Nihilist stuff and that I've sort of used a very similar sort of technique where the bass sort of just sits underneath. It sort of plays the root note, but it's sort of instead of trying to keep up with the guitar, which I'm trem picking, I sort of do a half-time bass that's more locks into the drum. And I think yeah. it gives it a better, better feel. It gives the bass more bass as well. And it sort of creates more of a, I don't know, more of a solid foundation for the guitar. Yeah, particularly if the guitar is playing a riff like that, that is not playing just like a regular, like, you know, uh, you know, rhythm guitar. Like it's playing like a riff that's like, you know, single note riffs, you know what I mean? Like going, mm -hmm. yeah. I think that it works better to maybe have the bass holding down the root note of that kind of riff or playing something a little bit different from the main riff so that the main riff seems to kind of lift above that, you know? And then maybe here yeah. and there you can have the bass kind of go along with the riff to add a little variation, but primarily have it kind of sit underneath as like the foundation, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then we have a uh, summer of the diabolical Holocaust, which uh, I love when this song comes in, you know, just like you have eight seconds of silence and it's like, dun, 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 you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the start's nice and slow. It's got that real doomy sound. Um, the bass is really heavy in the beginning. Yeah, and like the um, it, this song definitely you can hear the influence uh, this song had on like bands like Suter as well. Because you know, like um, mm. if you're listening, like uh, you know, like some of some Suter stuff, like Desert Order Hell, they have songs that kind of start off like this where it just goes right into it with the vocals and everything, like right from the start. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. da, 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 da. and then it yeah, really... sl slows down, you know? Yeah. It doesn't really build up. It just gets into it. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes right into it. And then, uh, yeah. Then there, there's like the, um, the kind of mid paced breakdown part in this, which is very like Celtic Frost as well. Yeah. I love that part actually. And then the guitar solo is brilliant too. Yeah, that's one thing that I love about this album is the solos. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, um, I don't know, I was talking with, um, I, I just recorded an episode recently of Drew Goth, you know? Uh, yep. The Australian. Actually, I, I've, he lives only about, oh, he's only about 15, 20 minutes from where I live, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, um, one of his bands is playing a show that we're doing a, a Gravier show in um september one of his bands is supporting yeah he's oh, a good cool. lad yeah yeah he's cool like i just recorded that a few days ago and we were kind of talking about guitar solos he, he was like saying uh, he hasn't put any in to drew goth yet but he wants to but um i was kind of talking about that i was like yeah i, I always like i kind of like i'm not a i like i, I kind of like solos in black metal like when they're like the way that they do it on this you know like yeah because I know that there's definitely kind of a controversial thing with some black metal people. There's some black metal people who think that black metal shouldn't have solos at all, but I disagree. I mean, I think that, you know, particularly if you're rooted in the in the 80s, early 90s stuff, you're going to, you know, all those, all those bands had solos, you know. and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's fun I mean, to do I that too. I like doing solos on, on black metal stuff. 
yeah, I don't have an issue with it at all. No, I don't don't see the problem with it. I think I'll probably try and add it a bit more in the future too, to be honest, because I think they can create, you know, a different atmosphere. They can take the song down a different path and, you know, just makes the create cre- creative creativity per you know sorry, I'm getting a bit tongue tied here. <laughs> makes the creativity flow a bit better when you can, you know, mix things up and, you know, try different techniques with guitar size and stuff. Sometimes the simple ones are better. Like I'm not a very good lead guitarist, I'll be the first to admit, like I don't even know what any of the body scales are. Yeah, I, I mean, can write that... a bow just through feel. It's all yeah. just done through feeling, you know what I mean? Exactly, and and you don't need to, you know, be a Joe Satriani to do a to do like a, a Slayer or solo. You know what I mean? Like not at all. You know, like that's kind of what was liberating for me was that I had had a little like had a little bit of um, you know back in the day. You know, this was like you know, I think I started playing solos and my stuff probably like twelve years ago or something like that, thirteen or whatever years ago. Whatever. I remember have a little bit of trepidation, but then I was like, no, I'm going to go for it. I mean, it's probably like 2009, I think. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I started writing stuff and, and I would do, only do it when I heard it, like in the song, I was like, okay, solo needs to go here, you know? And then on four track, I would just, uh, record solo on the same, same track as the vocal track. So, you know, there's, so there wouldn't be vocals over the solo parts, you know what I mean? Yeah. You rarely hear too many people do vocals over solos. That's one way to get a guitar thrown at your head if you're in a band. Yeah, exactly. So like, um, (laughs) so I just put the solo over in those parts and, and, um, and at the same time, I was also really like, um, probably around when I first started the Verkulkas project, I really had this idea of, um, going back to the, roots even more so and being like you know like just unashamedly writing okay it's gonna be my celtic frost riff you know it's gonna be my battery riff just for the you know what i mean like kind of throwing those into there more so than i had at that point and um yep i've actually done that once before i have written a song where each riff was sort of like a a homage to a certain band and i I won't give too much away because i've released it but um yeah i i like the idea of that it's not something i do all the time but it's a good way to mix things up. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I was just kind of like really like, you know, going for it with that and, you know, the, the, the kind of eighties, nineties influence, eighties, early nineties influence. And, um, and so, yeah, I, natural extension, I was doing solos and, and I started developing kind of solo style, you know, and I had different ones for, have different ones for different things I do. Like, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, different project one you know some projects might need a bit more melodic solos where you know something that's more you know 80s black thrash influences mixed in there you're gonna have more chaotic solos but it's just a lot of fun like starting to develop that skill and and um and everything and yeah it's very liberating because like i don't know just that kind of liberation of like yeah just let's just fucking go for it you know yeah, it's part of the creative process too, which let's let's be honest, like all the music I make is simply just to make myself happy, you know. As long as I'm happy with it, then that's my goal achieved. So I'm basically just doing what I want to hear. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's how I approach it. It's like I want to make music that I want to listen to, you know. Yep, totally. The um. Anyway, yeah, so the lyrics for Summer of the Diabolical Holocaust, looking at them, like, 
I always like these lyrics too. Like, um, it kind of has like a, it's a weird, like a, feels like kind of apocalyptic in a way, but like, I don't know. It's like, he's like, he's like having some type of weird vision of like, you know, of like some type of weird vision of like, uh, killing Christians and stuff. Right. <laughs> Not a terrible subject at all. No. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what it seems like when I look at the lyrics, like, like it's kind of like having like some type of, some type of vision of this kind of like, yeah, diabolical Holocaust. <laughs> yeah. And I, it sounds almost like he, um, you know, and in my darkest fantasy, as I reach for hell, I, I am free. free. I love that part of the song. The that's um, yeah. It's iconic that part. Yeah. That part's amazing. That's one of those parts that, uh, that I always have to like, Sing along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the solo is brilliant. And I think that's one of the things that they kind of missed when um, Zephyrus left the band. I think he was obviously more of an accomplished lead player as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember listening. The thing I listened to, Fenders couldn't remember who did the solos, but yeah, it's probably Zephyrus, but he, he couldn't remember. They know mm. that Nocturnal did some of the solos on uh, Blaze, and I think Fenders did a few solos on the Blaze as well, but. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think definitely, like, after Zephyrus left, it kind of, you know, they didn't really get back to doing solos and stuff until until they started doing their more, like, heavy metal influence stuff. Cause yeah. I don't think there's... Which there's, was after that. Yeah, because there's not really a lot of solos on, you know, like that I can think of on, like, Total Death or Plague Wheeler or that kind of stuff, you know? Nah, they're a lot more riff-based. Yeah. Um, see the dance of eternal shadows. I love this one. It's got the real like um got a nice doomy intro. Yeah. I love this intro. Like just real like um kind of I don't know, it's just a cool like kind of groovy riff, you know what I mean? Mm. Really like iconic riff, like the beginning. Like And I love that the the line where it goes, I am here while I Feast upon your flesh. Ah, yeah, I love that part. Goes into the fast riff. It's just magic. Yeah, I, I really love that part. I am him. Why feast upon your flesh? That's another part that I always do the vocals too. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and just the um the, the reverb and the delay on his voice just gives it that much more um depth as well. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, this like um has such a great like type of. I love the part two where he's like, I am ready for the God below. Yeah. Red flesh yeah. to penetrate my skin. <laughs> but I always, when I think about them lyrics, it always it confuses me a little bit because it always makes me think of the Goat Lord version because they used the same lyrics off a couple of these songs on Goat Lord. And I think that was one of the songs they did use the same lyrics. And I can imagine each version and that sort of, yeah, messes with me a bit. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't listened to the Goat Lord versions enough, like to get to hear them both. You know what I mean? Well, they, well, the actual song's completely different, but they just use the same lyrics. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, that's what I mean. Is like yeah. the Goat Lord is probably one of the least listened to earlier Dark Throne things for me. Yeah, it's a different. You don't really listen to it as a Dark Throne album. It's more of a an oddity that you listen once every ten years, I guess. I mean, yeah. I don't hate it at all. It's got its place, but yeah, 
I don't know why they recycled the lyrics from this song. It kind of, I think they did their better work with it on this album. I don't know why they needed to. They should have just wrote some other lyrics. Yeah, unless they originally intended for that song. I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe maybe Fender's just like, oh, I want to keep like you know, because Goat Lord wasn't going to come out at that time. So maybe you just thought, okay, I want to use these lyrics as I like them. So. Yeah, yeah, so probably a fair point too, actually, because I, yeah. I can't actually quite read when the lyrics were written. It's that small on the CD cover. Yeah, um, yeah, we were like, yeah, when he does the piece on your flesh, and then it goes into the faster part, you know, like, and th- that's what's great about these. This album is the way that the songs like move. You know what I mean? Like from mm. mid pace to faster parts, and everything is just like perfectly like combined together you know what i mean yeah totally and then like i love the uh the ending rip where it's like and it's got like the big you know tom tom hits you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and then it's got that sort of rockier rockier beat and it's like yeah it's got the catchy sort of but there's fire in my heart and in my eyes yeah it's awesome yeah it's just like if you think about it, and this song's only like three, you know, not even four minutes long, and it's got like, so every part is like fucking killer. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm. Well, that's pretty much the album. I mean, there's not a bad riff on it. I wouldn't say anyway. Yeah, but it takes you through like a journey in like three minutes and 44 seconds. It's like you have like <laughs> a slow mid part, then it goes fast, and then you got kind of like some like kind of more Bathory-esque type of riffs, and then it ends with this kind of rocking step part. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think the um, the fact that they've just sort of created the album the way they have, um, which was as a direct homage to all these bands, has made it sort of more streamlined, I think, and it's, I don't know, I think the songwriting is probably stronger than anything they did later on. I think these songs sort of just seem to be put together a bit better. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree. Which I think um, Fenris has said that in interviews that he says that the best albums that he, that they've done when he considers this like one of their best, you know, is, to him this is their yeah. best black metal album, which I agree with. Me too. Uh, he has said that all of their best albums they've done is when they've been more strict with themselves like with their influences, mm. like, you know, like yep. when they made this album, they're, they're literally pretty much just drawing on that, you know, return of darkness and evil, a little bit under the black mark, black Bathory, you know, satanic rights, Hellhammer, uh, you know, like I said, the Necrolist demo from Vader, you know, maybe some like other, you know, black thrash stuff in the past, you know, but there's like, yeah, very, I like think, um, very focused, like um, what they were bit of by. as well. Yeah, oh, bulldozer, like you know, this kinds of stuff, death strike or whatever. You know, like they had like some of these like core things that they were drawing on, and you know, mayhem, you know, uh, live in Leipzig tape or whatever. Um, yeah, that's where some of the more open riffing probably came from. Was probably from mayhem because they were starting to play in that style by that stage. Yeah, because you got to think that I don't even know if. I think uh, maybe probably uh, Dark Throne at least saw Mayhem live once, but you know, like they mainly could hear like the live Leipzig tape. So probably had yeah. some like rehearsal tapes too that probably your gave them, you know? So like yep. they probably didn't 
hadn't heard like the entirety of what would become D Mysterious, right? You know, like they're primarily hearing Live in Leipzig, which is some of the Death Crush and it has Funeral Fog and, you know, some of the other songs that ended up on the album. So and you can hear those kind of riffs pop up on Ablaze and on here as well. Yeah. Particularly like I think that uh, you know, particularly on certain songs like uh probably even I think Unholy Black Metal, like the next song. Has a little mm-hmm. bit of that, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I think they're they were better when they're focused because yeah, Fender seems to be the type of guy who writes his music kind of based around what he's inspired by at that moment. You know what I mean? Like what he's listening to or whatever. Yeah, and I so, guess it's probably like a um, you know a time stamp in his life. And that and it seems like the way that he kind of writes music is to kind of even though he's trying to write his own riffs, he's still like kind of like referencing things in his head. You know what I mean? So yeah. for him, like when he's writing riffs, he's like, okay, this is, I'm trying to go for, you know, bastardy to return. It's not going to, I'm not going to rip it off entirely necessarily, except for one. there is one riff on the album where they kind of rip off Bathory, but like, you know, like, um, He's just going for that that feeling, and that's what he tries to go for in his head. So you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like for him, it probably works better when they're focused, because then he's not like just trying to stitch together like a million different types of bands' riffs. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a more cohesive sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. The the next song, "Unholy Black Metal." This is definitely like a, one of the greatest songs in the album. I think you know. Yeah, I think this is pretty much almost the perfect black metal song for me personally. You know. Yeah, I, I love this like main riff, like na 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 na. You know, I have to say that this riff is one that's inspired me a lot. Like the way the structure is, like I've written plenty of riffs that kind of that like three note. It's like a three note riff. You know, you just like da na 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 like three times, and then you go da na 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 na. You know. Yeah, no, this, I'd say this style, this, the style of this song has definitely influenced me in the past and probably still in the future as well. Um, yeah, it's basically the it's basically the blueprint for, you know, what black metal should have become. I think a few bands did really take something from this album, like, you know, bands like uh, Catharsis from Germany. I think they really nailed this sound really well and added a bit more of a wild flavour to it as well. You know, they're a bit faster and a bit more extreme, but I think they um, sort of captured this sound pretty well as well. Yeah, particularly on the Crucifixion album. Yeah, totally. I felt like, I felt like this, this sound, they had the type of tone as this album, but a bit more thrashy and a bit stretched further with longer songs. Yeah, a little bit wilder too. A bit yeah. wilder, but... Yeah. I love how and, primitive... This song is though, you know, like Unholy Black Metal. It's like literally just like it's it's like not not fancy at all. You know what I mean? Yep. It's yeah, just, there's no keyboards, no nothing, no sol- Not even really. Oh, there there is some solos in it, which I do really appreciate. Yeah, but like riffing itself is like very primitive. It's just like you know, you can you. Can, it's not hard to figure out what they're doing on it. You know what I mean? No, I think I can definitely. I've just walked over to the corner of my room and picked up a guitar. Like I could pretty much just play that riff <laughs> now. I think it's pretty much like 
Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> the guitar's out of tune, so I'll put it back down. <laughs> but I, just, I love that it's like, you know, it's all pretty much one tempo blast through, you know, like it's a mid-tempo blast where it's not like super, super fast, but it's faster, you know? But yeah. Still got, still got yeah. that groove. That's like that. That's like the secret for this type of black metal, in my opinion, is it needs um it needs to have a even when you're going fast you still need to have that kind of groove you know like when it's like you know what i mean like it still has this kind of groove to it you know what i mean yep 100 percent. and i think that's probably about the speed where i like to play that's probably about my favorite speed of playing too like as a guitarist and playing in a band i think it still retains a certain amount of power without i think like i do like some of the faster stuff don't get me wrong like funeral mists mad and Whatever, but I think for me personally, that speed is just yeah. That's that's about the perfect black metal speed. Yeah, I generally that's like yeah. I generally don't go too much faster than that either. Like every once in a while, you know, it's kind of I kind of like to to push it and try to do something a little bit faster, like kind of funeral mist or something. But uh, yeah, yeah, I do like I do my my comfort zone is more in that kind of mid tempo fast, like not. You know, the kind of Vaughn fast, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I find it sort of, e- not easier, but I, I find that you can sort of create a darker atmosphere being a bit slower too. Yeah, I think the problem with, um, and of course that's another influence before I continue, which is Vaughn. Vaughn was a huge influence on this album too. Actually, yeah, which Fenners has said, like, is like Vaughn was like right up there with Bathory as like one of the big influences on them, going more primitive and more, more, uh, repeating riffs longer and stuff like that. Um, yeah, well, that, that could certainly be said for the main riff in that song. It has got a bit of a Vaughn vibe with the three sort of chords. Yeah, it has a total Vaughn feeling to it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like, the problem, like, so, like, it's so, like we're going too fast, right? Like, when I think a great example would be a band like Dark Funeral. Oh, Dark, Dark Funeral it better. goes too fat you know like i i don't hate dark funeral i mean i like some dark funeral stuff right but it gets wearisome after a while to listen to dark funeral because it's just yeah. like just you know um it's too fast and there's i don't know like um it just starts to like it starts to like you know wash over you to the point where you're kind of like like um you know i can listen to an album but when i start trying to listen to more than one album i start to have a hard time because it's just it's too I don't know. It's it gets like too be too much if you're just like going fast, fastest as possible all the time. You know what I mean? Even like yeah, Marduk you get doesn't a, do that, you know. <laughs> nah, they did a couple of albums like that. Marduk, like um, you know, Heaven Shall Burn was pretty quick. Um, Panzer Division, Marduk was quick, but I think like Dark Funeral, they they kind of it gets a bit monotonous and the, they lose the impact by having just songs that are just a full blast for four or five minutes. Yeah. And, and then every song's like you know you listen to Bobiscum Satanus, which I do. I don't. Hate, I like that album for what it is, but it's it gets to be a little munch because every song's like the same tempo. You know, like it's all yeah. just fast with like melodic riffs and yeah, it gets, I mean, it like, just, it's a little too much, you know. Yeah. But because like even like say Heaven Shall Burn has some faster songs, but it also has really slow groovy songs like yeah. a Dracol whatever song that you know second to last song on it. Like you know, I. Uh, you know, a lot of Dark Throne, or not Dark Throne, Marduk has like, yeah, they have, they, they, he still throws in these kind of like mid paced songs in there. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, each to their own, like, you know, certain bands, like, I do love the fast stuff, don't get me wrong, but I don't think I could just have a, you know, I think, you know, when certain bands play too fast all the time, it does lose the impact, unless they're an exceptionally good band like Arculus or someone like that, but, you know, they're not really a typical band. Yeah, he's kind of doing something different with what he's doing, yeah. Like, um, yeah. yeah, it's just it's one of those things... Um, uh yeah i don't know i think it's just like also we as players have like an internal tempo and that's something that i like about this album like i was talking about no click tracks and stuff is that you can just hear the internal tempo of the band of veneris and everybody like yeah they just not, lock in together yeah it's not it's not like it's not set to like a metronome it's not set to a click or you know I, you know what i mean like it's like it's just like this kind of very natural tempo that you can hear on like a lot of older music you know yeah. Where something yep. like Dark Throne, Dark Funeral, I mean, sounds very metronized, quantized a little bit. It's too perfect, you know. It's too clean. It's too like. Um, but it doesn't really have much atmosphere either. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's really the problem. Like where something like this is very like real, natural, organic. Um, yeah. They give the they atmosphere. give the song a bit of yeah. The riffs have got more space to breathe and create that atmosphere because the tempo's, you know, just a bit more forgiving, I guess. Exactly, yeah. And that just like the tempo of the song is just like to me it's like a perfect tempo. It's like just gonna oh, yeah. dun 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 you know and puts you it's kinda of, since it's a more natural tempo as well. Yeah. It puts you in more of a trance state. Like it like a lot of this flash yes. metal that has this type of tempo it's very. It is trance, yeah. It's very trance, like because you know, like like when like sh when shamans, for example, do vision quests, a lot of people think mm -hmm. that the drums should be like slow or something. But no, like most shaman, if you listen to shaman shamanistic drums, you know, like um, yeah, if you listen listen to Siberian like shamanistic drum stuff. You can listen to um, it's it's more just kind of dun 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 dun. Yeah, that's, sometimes that's, it can. That's it the can usual happen tone for wild. it. Yeah. yeah, and that's so. Yeah, it always made sense to me, like with black metal, that the natural tone of so much black metal is this kind of shamanistic tempo. You know what I mean? Like it's not a st steady thing; it has an ebb and flow, but it's just kind of like mid fast type of type of beat. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it also it can build up and you know, yeah, you know, cascade into a more of a you know. I don't know, more of an exaltation as well, I think, is, you know, um, all of that sort of stuff. And I know what you mean about listening to ritualistic music with the beat as well. It does create more of a trance-like atmosphere being in the background and then it sort of slowly can build up and come into the forefront. Yeah, well, and, yeah, and even like, like I'm talking about, even like a Siberian shamanistic drum stuff, you know, when they do their vision quests. Yeah. They just have like the big drum and they're hitting it. And they go on their vision yep. quest. There's generally always that tempo, that, the kind of tempo of a song like Unholy Black Metal, you know? <laughs> mm. And let's not forget the lyrics. The lyrics are great to this song, too. It's just pure blasphemy, really. That's all the, that's it's just exactly what the song's about. Yeah, I love this one. Very influential. I always like these lyrics like, when the blood rains from heaven high and from the pearly gates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because his vocals have got a lot of um, conviction, too. Like, you know, when he's saying these, well, when he's, you know, 
not really singing, but when he's vocalising these lines, like he's putting everything into it that, you know, the delivery resonates within me and I can, you know, I can feel the song and the lyrics, you know. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're really great lyrics. And, um, you know, it all has – this is a very trance-like song in general because I, even the lyrics have this trance-like thing. I mean, almost – it's very, like – Every every verse has the same structure. It's like when the sun has died, when the angels are blind, when the fog lies thick over the palace of God. They all have that same like when, 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 and then a different thing. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. Yeah. I always love the um when Jehovah's hordes are slaughtered, the site when disciples twelve are dead, when beliefs of eastern lands are raped and raped again. <laughs> yeah. I always love that part. <laughs> yeah, no the lyrics are great. I mean I feel like like lyrics like, you know, when the horror of Babylon rise, when pity turns to hate, when all sons of Satan sodomize the lambs of sodomize Christ. the lambs of Christ. Yeah, that, that's that a feel, favorite one too. That feels like it really is like a, a nod to Prophetica and, you know, that kind, yeah. of, that kind of early, you know. Uh, just titled Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Bla- yeah, that kind of stuff. Because even, you know, even though Prophetica... No, even though Prof Natic always talks shit about no age and black metal, I'm sure all those guys still listen to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, hundred percent. If yeah, I'm sure Paul Wedney enjoys this album. He might. I don't know because he always talks shit about Norwegian black metal. So yeah, but, but uh, maybe but I, that was the stuff that came later on. But I think this album came out. Well, it was in 1993, and yeah, it was maybe. in the very, very formative years when black metal became a real melting pot. Yeah, I feel like you should like this album. I mean, it's, it's very primitive, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know the man personally, but if I ever see him, I will ask him. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about trying to get trying to see if I could get him on the podcast. I think it'd be kind of interesting. I think that'd be a, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, I'd definitely be interested in hearing it. He's been involved in the scene for a long time, like thirty-five years or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he's a legend. He's one of the very first black metal guys in in the United States, you know, alongside Vaughn and. Yeah, you know, um, you know it's like Vaughn, Prophetica, uh, Necrovore, Black Funeral, mm-hmm. yep, Demon Sea. You know, it's like yes, it's, it's like the beginning of Black Funeral right there in the states. You know, mm. but uh, anyways, like the next song, um, "To Walk to Infernal Fields." So this is one hundred percent, and Penrose admits this. This is basically him, you know doing Bathory, you know what I mean? It's the same yeah. enter to eternal fire, basically. <laughs> yep. Almost like note for note. It's just like a slightly different tempo. And the song does like, doesn't completely copy enter to eternal fire. You know, it's like, it's still a different song, but the basic riff is the same. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then he breaks, they break into that. They, they've got some really, dare I use the term, catchy like it's not a catchy album by any sense, but there are some really catchy riffs on there. No, I think I think when this it album's very catchy. That, yeah, <laughs> when it goes into the, I guess it just yeah, it's sort of when it goes into that catchy riff, that do na 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 It's just such a you know, it's got, it's got that real sort of driving rhythm, which you know, yeah, it has got that Bathory feel. Yeah, because like the. The main riff when it comes in is basically the inner eternal flare, fire from under the sign of the black yeah. mark, you know, uh, and then, but it's yeah. Probably, what's that? That's probably my favorite, that's probably my favorite Bathory album actually is under the sign of the black mark. 
Yeah, it used to be a, uh, my favorite, but over the years, Return of Darkness and Evil has become my favorite. It just for some reason, that like, one that one's probably even darker again. But I just think songs like Thirteen Candles and stuff are just too good to ignore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, on paper, I think probably Under Sign of the Black Mark is the the better album. It's definitely the album that every time I listen to that album, I think um, this sounds like it could have come out, you know yesterday and sound just as mm. fresh you know it, it was so uh, so far yeah. ahead of its time you know what i mean like it sound literally sounds like the blueprint for so much for the majority uh, you know for black metal you know what i mean in the 90s you know what i mean more so maybe yeah. than return but uh just something yeah, yeah, i think so. really speaks to me you know yeah oh no they're, they're both brilliant i mean there's only like very minor it's just a personal preference more than anything else but yeah the returns is good an album Easily, it's like trying to compare a blaze in the northern sky with under a funeral moon, pretty much. Yeah, uh, yeah. this um, yeah, this song is great. One, it's the longest one in the album. It's like almost eight minutes long. It's very like minimalistic. You know, repeat the riffs like a. I love the lyrics on this too. Like it's very like this is very like very satanic, devotional, a very yeah devotion devotion to Satan type of lyrics. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, to walk the infernal fields, exactly. That's right. Good. And I think I like the fact that with the riffing in this song, they've managed to, while they've stuck with a similar rhythm throughout, they've kept enough variation in the riff, in the riffing just to keep it interesting as well before they yeah. go into that really catchy sort of ending part. Yeah. And I really. It's just like. Sorry, about that? you right. Go ahead. I was just saying there's some subtle changes in the melody and stuff, which kind of just keep it interesting but without being too melodic or you know there's just just it's just very well written yeah exactly yeah if the main you know for a lot of it it's like kind of like kind of a main two riffs and yeah it has some really subtle variations and then i really like when you get towards the towards the end then it has the part with like the big like kind of uh gong sound you know what i mean yeah I love that part where it, it kind of slows down a little bit, and then you have the the kind of shaking gong sound in the background. It's so cool. Yeah, it's like a real. It sort of really overwhelms. It's like a. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a something otherworldly that just sort of comes through, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's like a breakdown part. I think it's like um, yeah, yeah. It's like five minutes in or something like that. Mm. But yeah, I love I love that part. Like. It is it, the song is very good. You know, you don't feel like it's eight minutes because it goes by so well. You know, no, I, I really didn't think it was that long. I thought it was about six minutes, but yeah. The um, a little bit of the riffing, where where you're talking about, where it's adding like kind of like a bit of movement to the riff. Yeah, that always has kind of made me think of maybe like the slower parts of Immortal Pure Holocaust. You know what I mean, like um yeah yeah like there's some of the kind of more mid-tempo there's like a i forget what the song is there's like a mid-tempo song on pure holocaust which almost feels like their nod to enter the eternal fire oh, you know what i mean yeah hang on i'm trying to think what it is um i love that album too actually that's that's probably the best by far the best immortal album yeah it's my favorite one like by far uh it's a song um is it uh... as as the eternity opens i think 
Let me make sure. Yeah, that market. Yeah, it's kind of the mid-tempo one. Yeah, it has got a very similar feel to it, to be honest. Yeah. Very similar. It's just kind of the... Yeah, I mean, this one's a little bit slower than that, but, but you know, when they're doing, like, the dun and then there's just kind of, like, this, like, guitar movement, you know what I mean? Like... Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know how to explain it, but, yeah. It kind of makes me think of... Um, it kind of makes me think of, uh, you know, Immortal. It's probably all kind of coming from, you know, the same influence, you know, like. Oh, I'd say 100% Bathory. Bathory. You know, yeah, exactly. That kind of Bathory, like moving moving chord riffs, you know what I mean? Mm. But yeah, like, um, yeah, I always felt like, uh, yeah, Pure Holocaust was, yeah, Immortal's best album, in my opinion. It's their only actual black metal album, you know, that one and, you know, Diabolical Full Moon Mysticism, those are like their two like black metal albums because I don't, I actually don't really consider Blizzard Beast a actual black metal album. I think it's, it's it's their own thing, you know what I mean? It's kind of black metal with a death metal style as well, I guess. Um, I really like Blizzard Beast, that was probably the last album of theirs I really got into. Uh, I, I didn't say much, like, I meant like Battles in the North, like Battles in the North to me is it definitely has that black metal element, but, uh, you know, I always kind of just took another word where I, I don't think they consider themselves like black metal after pure Holocaust, you know what I mean? Because there's stuff nah, like not real. doing yeah. something different. It, it is black metal in the sense it's like unrelenting. It's got that kind of production and, and whatnot, you know, it's, it's definitely black metal adjacent, you know what I mean? But yeah. it's not, in my opinion, like battles in the North and all that stuff is not really like pure black metal in the same way as pure Holocaust, you know? Similar, similar, like with Enslaved around the same era too, with their like Frost and albums like that. They had a black metal sound, but I guess it was more Viking metal as well. Kind of a similar thing in a way. It's yeah. parallel, but not exactly black metal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. it's like it's like kind of like black metal adjacent. You know, like it it has the similar sound as black metal. It still, you know, has an evil feeling to a certain extent, but as I wouldn't necessarily class it as purely black metal. Pure way. black metal. It's yeah. not pure black metal now, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, pure Holocaust is purely good. Yeah, it's pure. Pure Holocaust is pure black metal. You know, true. Yeah. true. you can tell us they're they're like we're going to make a black metal album. You know, it's right up there with you know Mayhem and Darkthrone and all kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That is, yeah, totally. And then obviously after that, like I kind of yeah, I mean. I actually didn't mind a couple of the latest ones they did. That Sons of Northern Darkness actually was a bit of a return to form. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, I like that album, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I just kind of look at Immortal, you know, like from Battles in the North on, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like this kind of fantasy, wintry black metal, you know, like black metal-ish stuff, you know what I mean? It's not really black metal but it's like kind of like just kind of winter metal you know what i mean like kind of fantasy in a way because they've got their own they had their own sort of a lot of their lyrics were based around like a fantasy world like the gates of Blashik or whatever like i guess it was their own thing yeah their own concept that they came up with their their own world i guess to a certain degree and i'm not sure really what the vocal uh, the lyrics are about these days i, I, think, I, it's really... same, I think it's the same thing you know because it's still uh Oh, yeah, Demon has wrote all the lyrics anyway, I believe. Yeah, he's always written all the lyrics, so, you know, now he's yeah. writing it, so, you know. Yeah, I think it's always the same thing. It's, like, this kind of fantasy world, like, so, yeah. Like, 
Immortal are a band that I listen to when I'm in the mood for more fantasy-ish metal. You know what I mean? Like, mm. stuff that has a good, you know, that kind of feeling. Like, you know, it's not really something I listen to when I, you know, I'll put on Pure Holocaust when I listen to black metal, but I don't put on Later Immortal when I'm in the mood for black metal. I put it on when I kind of want to have that kind of fantasy, you know, type of feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I like um, Blizzard Beasts a bit more than um, Battles in the North. Like Battles in the North was good when it came out. It blew everyone away because it was pretty bloody fast and stuff like that. And um, But it's pretty untight when you listen to it. It's not not executed as well as it could have been. But um, I think, you know, that's probably part of the beauty of the sound. But then um, Blizzard Beasts was a lot more focused. It was a lot tighter and the riffing was a lot more kind of aggressive and kind of death metal influenced. I kind of, yeah, I really liked that album. That was probably probably the last really good one that I enjoyed. But again, yeah, you're right, it's probably not a pure black metal album by any stretch. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've never been as big, a lot of people have had The Heart of Winter, I've never been a big fan of that one. Uh, I really don't ah. like da- Damned in Black is, I think, a pretty horrible album. Um, and then, yeah, Sons of Northern Darkness, was, I think, is a great album. It has a lot of mm. great songs, you know, and uh, it definitely in that it's like it's like yeah, more epic in a lot of ways, and has some of that Bathory influence, and just like a real catchy song, some really catchy songs, like one by one. Yeah, That's I cool. think they kind of went back to um, they re- retained a bit of the catchiness from some of their middle mid to late era albums, and then went back to the influence of sort of their earlier sound and the speed of like say Pure Holocaust or something like that. Yeah, I feel like um. There's a little bit darker feeling to Sons of Northern Darkness too, where it's not. It has a little. To me, it has a little bit more black metal into it, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so let's um. Let's see. Uh, the next song, of course, is uh, the classic "Under a Funeral Moon." Yeah. Well, what can you say about that song? It's it's, it's pretty much masterpiece after the masterpiece on this album. Like you know, like everything about this album is great too. Yeah. I'm sorry, this song. This one's another one kind of like Unholy Black Metal that's very primitive, you know what I mean? The lyrics are so good too. Yeah, the lyrics are fucking definitely like um, some type of satanic dark poetry, like you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's got a very dark, eerie, eldritch type of feeling to it. And again, it's very uh, autumnal, like I'm saying, like, this night of late October, the dark side opens its gates. Morbid souls wait for me for a satanic conspiracy. Mm. I really like, yeah. It's just Raven sings my last song as the funeral wolves howl their goodbyes. The funeral moon goes strongly now, for I am nearly there. It's like so cool. It's like it's like he's killing himself to go up into like some type of weird like satanic like um, afterlife or something. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of feel like the lyrics on this album and on um, A Blaze in the Northern Sky were kind of a bit better well written from any later Dark Throne stuff. Like, I think they kind of went a bit simpler, but I think these lyrics and the ones before were, were kind of written from the right place, if you know what I mean. Like, I feel that they were really um, trying to channel these kind of feelings for real on these albums in particular. I don't know if that feeling was still there later on. But I yeah. definitely feel these lyrics, uh, there just seems to be more depth to them. No, I would agree, yeah, because 
Wolf Ender said himself he felt possessed when he made this, like, he was possessed by this dark satanic energy, you know, like, and um, mm. it, it shows in the lyrics because, like, um, I always I agree with you 100%. I think that the lyrics on this album and A Blaze Northern Sky, and then if you, if you translate the lyrics to Transmitting Hunger, also kind of have a similar feeling, um, as well as uh, some of the lyrics on... Um, well, the lyrics on Panzerfaust are a little bit different because they're more like Celtic Frost tribute lyrics mostly. But um, yeah. like um, particularly on this album, the lyrics are just very, very special. There's a very special atmosphere to them. They're very poetic and serious. Yeah, and, yeah. Like I think they've lost that poetic edge to their lyrics too, which I really only noticed on the first. What sorry, a blaze in this album. Yeah, because definitely, like you know. On Total Death, Fenners didn't even write any um, any of his lyrics. He didn't write any lyrics for that album. He had other people write lyrics. Yeah, they were all guest and, lyrics. Yeah, and then he did write lyrics on um, some of uh, him and Nocturno both wrote lyrics on Plague Wielder and Ravishing Grimness. He didn't really come back to writing more lyrics Still Hate Them, but the lyrics shifted with Hate Them and Sardonic Wrath in a way that, like, I really like those albums musically, uh, but I'm not, I find the lyrics, I don't really care for the lyrics too much, you know, like, they're not. There's definitely a shift in yeah. the uh, the uh, topic. Like, these are pure black metal lyrics that are, you know, satanic and whatnot, but the other ones just seem more misanthropic, so misanthropic and... Uh, yeah, I think that's probably the difference. And I think, you know, writing the satanic lyrics, they are more poetic because I guess at the time they did come from a place that was, at the time, it obviously resonated deep within them. Yeah, he's very connected to the spirit of black metal. He's very connected and channeling it. And One thing I often maybe wonder... That, maybe, that's, maybe that's why they aren't as good. Their later albums aren't as good as these because they didn't channel the same energy. Yeah, I definitely think so. You know, like it shifted, you know, I mean, I, you know, I like Sardonic Wrath and hate them and those types of albums for what they are, but they're definitely different. You know, they're more of that kind of misanthropic type of feeling, you know what I mean? Which, yeah, it's good for what it is, but it's, but it's different. And it's not pure black metal like this is, you know? Yeah. One thing I wonder about, um, you know, like, um, forget her name his uh Fenner's wife who did like the artwork for uh that's inside of this album you know the Takaford artwork mm -hmm. she, she was um in uh, August with um Andrea Hagen who was married to Samoth you know who got killed yep. last year I think it was yeah that was really rough yeah it was very random too might I add yeah it was very yeah it was very fucked up but I always wonder you know like if part of I don't know. I just got this feeling that maybe part of of the kind of overall milieu or whatever that helped Fenris kind of it added to where they were at this time was part maybe his you know his you know his marriage and stuff because it seemed like after they got divorced he and his father died and he had all this stuff like he kind of that's when he kind of lost you know his uh, his uh, his ability drive. To, yeah his drive like you know what I mean like. Because that was mm -hmm. after after all that, that was when he kind of wasn't writing lyrics as much, wasn't rewriting music for you know what like 
you know, five years or something. Maybe, maybe he didn't have the inspiration he once did. Yeah, I because I wonder about that because if you think about like music like Agast and her artwork and and this kind ah. it's kind of the also just like the way that you know even Andrea herself was like a big influence and inspiration for driving you know like Samoth like more seriously into you know like um, occultism. She was kind of and you know they both seem to be dry like because Andrea also I think was involved with. Um, uh um you know just she was very serious serious into the uh into the uh occult world you know what i mean like yeah uh, and you can hear that on that aghast album but that yeah. that is spine chilling both both her and 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 penner's wife they're very very serious about this type of stuff and you, you kind of wonder if like that influence you know and that inspiration probably had a had a impact on Fenris that a lot of people don't talk about. You know what I mean? I don't really hear anybody talk about that, but it just seems pretty obvious to me. It's always seemed pretty obvious to me that I'm sure that that Agast album was probably recorded on the same Porta studio that Transylvania Hunger was released. You know, no one talks it's about that. Possible. You know, it's very it's possible indeed. Pretty much. So he must have been that, married. You know? Yeah. So it must have been knocked. He was married to and Nebel was um, Andrea. Yeah. Yeah, Nib- Nibble is Andrea. Yeah, she was also like a kind of like advisor for Cradle of Filth for their Principle of Evil Made Flesh album, like for. Yeah, that's right. She did some vocals on that as well. Yeah, and and I know back then she was involved with like the Order of Nine Angles and stuff like that, and yeah, like the idea of the Mistress of the Earth and all that kind of stuff was a big part of it. So you know, like obviously this was there's some very serious satanic stuff going on at this time, you know, that a lot of people don't talk about with the black, this early black metal scene, you know what I mean? But when you look at some of these lyrics, there is a lot of, um, there is a lot of references to females in it as well. So that feminine energy, which has always been something, you know, that needs to balance out the male energy. Personally, I find when it comes to the occult and things like that, I think maybe that's why there is a lot of those kind of references in the lyrics too, because he was, you know, I think there's more energy when two people are involved in these kind of, uh, you know, when you are doing these kind of, living this kind of lifestyle, I think. If you're with a partner that's sort of into the same thing, you sort of generate a lot more power out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I've um, always I've always kind of felt about Dark Throne and Fenris around this time. It's not something that people talk about really very much. It's something I've had to kind of figure out over the years. You know what I mean? But yeah, but from, I guess it's from, just... from my experience, it just seems like very real, natural to me because it's, it's kind of the same thing as like uh, Jeff Whitehead, you know, with Leviathan, like that when mm-hmm. he made all of his best music was when he was in this like relationship with his ex who ended up dying of cancer or whatever. And after she died, like he basically stopped making music for, you know, a long time. You Did know what she... I mean? Did she commit suicide because she had brain cancer? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was and very – yeah, I do remember seeing him uh, mention that on the uh, One Man Metal uh, documentary. Yeah, so kind of like, you know, if you look at uh, something like that, I per- you can pretty much have a feeling that it's probably the case with, with um, you know, Fenris and 
you know, in his in that situation, particularly with how drastic the change was with him, like, mm. you know, after they they split, and you know, he's just like this like depressed like misanthropic guy like going down to the bar and drinking for a while. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and yeah. so like, like uh, it just get, it just made sense to me. Like when I was kind of piecing that together, I was like, and I could just you can feel that influence, you know definitely on the album yeah and i think it was good to discuss it was something different to touch upon as well because i think you know i can sort of feel that more sophistication in the lyrics and that energy yeah exactly and and when you add that on top of the fact that the guys were kind of a a real you know gang at the time trio like rehearsing together living they were just so immersed in black metal at the time. You know what I mean? Probably mm. in black metal and Satanism and all those kinds of stuff, like, um, in a real deep way. You know what I mean? On top of the fact they're in their early 20s, you know what I mean? Like, they're, you know, you just want, you can just, I'm sure, I can just imagine, you just feel that, that all that going on in this is just like a very magical type of probably union of, uh, of influences coming together. And it's one of those probably, like I said, a timestamp where, you know, you probably could never recreate that again. No, not not exactly that. Probably not. I mean, Dark Throne never was able to do that. They never tried because, uh, yeah, that's just not how life works. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like um, it just has to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. And that's where some of the best, you know, things can come from when, you know, just – certain circumstances lead to, you know, a magical period of time and then, you know, that's when you get, you know, certain albums that stand the test of time and 30 years later that's why we're still talking about them to this day because, you know, everything at that one time, you know, gave us what we have today. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. I um I think I was told I was part of this album and, you know, a song like Under a Funeral Moon has very like yeah, just like very poetic feeling to it. The music is like primitive. I like the kind of recurring there's like that kind of recurring riff that doesn't have any vocals on it. That's kinda of like the hook riff that kind of Fenner mm. is saying in the thing I listened to that it's not, that is very influenced by the Necrolist demo from Vader, you know, like it's kind of like almost like a little bit almost like black thrashy riff is kinda of like the hook riff on the song and then but then the whole thing kind of has like this primitive quality, and then I love the ending as well. It ends in such a bizarre way, you know. Yeah, yeah, it is a strange ending, isn't it? Yeah, but it, it works. Sort of, I think you can. It sounds that's the sort of ending that you kind of get from rehearsing together, not necessarily writing by yourself. I kind of feel that that might be why some of these songs are better because they were playing them as a band. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think. And maybe, yeah, maybe they kind of developed that ending. You can sort of feel the jam room vibe with that kind of ending. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. Like, I feel like that the fact that they're jamming, you know, like even if each guy wrote this song, once they started jamming them together, I'm sure they, they kind of shifted a little bit in the way they're being performed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like they could have, the song could have ended, you know, 10, 20 seconds earlier, but then they just came out with this kind of, you know, improv ending and it just worked and they went, fuck yeah, this is sick. And they kept it. Yeah, I, could exactly. be, I could be wrong, but <laughs> that's the vibe I get from it anyway. Yeah, me too. 
Then um, the next song, In I Did Die Peskolgansfaven, or however that's pronounced. Uh, um, this song, I love this song. It's it's another one from, uh, this one's from Zephyrus, I know for sure. And it's yeah. probably, I mean, this is one of the most primitive Dark Throne songs ever, you know, and I know Fenra oh. is like, thinks it's one of their, like one of their best. And because um, it's so fucking, it's just, it's so primitive. I mean, it's basically like, Two notes at the beginning, you know. Yeah, two <laughs> notes. But I love the I love the subtle changes, like when Fenris just goes from this just straight out beat, and then he just goes onto the ride, and it just gives it so much. I don't know, just the little changes like that in that song just give it so much more. Like that song's hypnotic, it's primitive as hell, but it's also very catchy. It's still ice cold, but it's still catchy at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's got that kind of. Uh... You know, I mean, if you think about like so much, cla- like if you look some classic rock stuff, for example, or something like Velvet Underground, you know, like where they'll have a song that's basically just like one chord, you know what I mean? Like they're just kind of writing yeah. it, you know, like that's kind of like this, that's what this song is in the way it's like the main riff is basically just one chord being played and then just like um, kind of one other note to kind of like punctuate it, you know what I mean? And then it sounds like, and then then it start then it suddenly it shifts into the you know the second riff you know what I mean where, but it's still using the same kind of underlying note to it you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's a reoccurring theme really. And it's just like, and then yeah, like when you like you said like then you get into the it kind of shifts as it goes on like to where the second riff you know. Yeah, I, I love this. It's probably one of my favourite songs on the album, to be honest. It's always been, yeah. Well, honestly, there's not a bad song on it, but I've always loved this one as well. Yeah. In a way, the song, yeah, I love the, the it, it does this, like, monotonous throughout, and I love when it goes into the other beat and riff where it's like, dun, 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 you know, the, the drum beat changes as well. Yeah. Because after it being goes called, into the half-time one. Yeah, after being so hypnotic for so long, it just hits really hard. And I, I love like this kind of minimalistic stuff where it's, you know, one note, two notes, but it's relying on the slight variations to really yeah. sell it. And, you know, that's one thing I really love to love about like Trelldom, for example, Dolls mm-hmm. Band, you know, like I love like how he yeah, has some songs that just have one riff, you know, like, yeah. like the la- I think the last songs in both of his last, two Trelldom albums are just one riff and mm-hmm. it's just repeated over and over and over again. And then there's all these kind of like, he varies the vocals and does different things so that it actually still, it's just like, feels like um, powerful and entrancing at the same time as being very primitive, you know? Yeah. And the, the vocal performance on this song too. So another good one I like, I mean, obviously being in Norwegian, we can't understand what's being said, but I just like the way that, um, the vocals are quite sparse, but the music's quite sparse too, and I think it really suits it, and it gives it that really desolate feeling, just the fact that they're, they're there, but they're not. Yeah. I know the lyrics, like, in I did Deipa Skolgansfaven is something like, um, in the deep forest. Um, I forget what Faven means, but yeah. It'll be in the deep forest something, rather, I forget. Um, yeah, and like... From a little bit of Norwegian, I know that the lyrics seem to be kind of like talking about like 
the Norwegian forest, basically. <laughs> mm. I know there's one part that looks like it's a, something about a raven flying over. Yeah, pests and trod den dorsk marks. That'd be like the plus the plague trod over the Norse land. Um, and yeah, and deaths and to sail and frozen. I can't think what that means, but yeah, it'd be like. Then I see something on a raven. No, I. No, but yeah. Pretty much the first song, pretty much the first um, Norwegian black metal song in their native tongue. And I guess it, oh, well, I could be wrong there. I, I'm sure I, someone else may have done it, but it sort of certainly seemed to um, I think influence it might, a lot of other people. I think it might be the first one released. Or no, uh, no, uh, Varga probably, uh, well, no, I think. Uh, well, I think this might have been the first one released because uh, I don't remember Varg didn't do. Did he do? He didn't do any Norwegian lyrics on that song in Var, I don't think. Yeah, no, yeah, he had in Ring to Lahersky. Oh yeah, that's right. So yeah, so yeah, it would have been. There was a couple of yeah. That would have been. Yeah, it would have been Burzum would have been the first, yeah. But um, mm-hmm. still like uh, yeah, yeah, and obviously yeah, it looks like his the lyrics are Norwegian and it's all about you know plague and death in the Norwegian forest, basically. So it's very fitting. And it's very fitting for the song. You know, it has that kind of feeling. Yeah, it's a great song. And again, the bass, I want to highlight how how simple the bass is, but how good it is too. Yeah, it's very good. And it's really holding it down. And then it's allowing Zephyrus to kind of elaborate the guitars a little bit in very subtle ways, you know. Yeah, that, that and that and that just shows like as a band they must have been really um really in sync at the time. Particularly because Ben was say, saying that um the uh playing that riff because it is basically one note and then he said that the you know when it shifts to that 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 other you know and every once in a while throw in that second note mm-hmm. that it wasn't really like solid. Like it was kind of like Zephyrus, like kind of just did it by feel, basically. So they all just kind of had to go by feel and the communication, essentially. That it wasn't like set, like oh, we're gonna play the one note for you know eight measures and then play throw in that second note. You know what I mean? It was just kind of like random, essentially, according to feel. Yeah. So they all had to kind they of obviously like, just did it by feel. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's not like it's not like laid out and mapped out it kind of does it by like so like it adds to it too because because it's very just natural you know what i mean yeah yeah i'm surprised more people haven't really written more like that but i mean i don't know i personally just love that style it's very simple it's so effective yeah no i mean for me like particularly with my newer stuff i'm working on is very much more in the vein of things like that you know like very primitive you know von type of stuff that's mm. not afraid of doing one riff you know what i mean like because and ugly stuff that's not very melodic you know like kind of like not you know like i always had this idea too of like if you took like terms of being hunger and you took all the the melodic riffs out and you just had the the more like you know primitive ugly riffs like how cool that would be you know what i mean like yeah uh, nothing against those kind of melodic riffs. They're okay, but like it's been done over and over again. There's so many bands who've done those type of Chance of Hunger melodic riffs like that. And I've done it in the past, you know, myself. And 
just tired yeah. of that. Like, I want to make something that's a bit more uh, primitive, you know? Yeah, well, it was a completely different style of playing. It does give you um, – you can experiment with a lot of different chords and things like that. And um, But, yeah, they, that was sort of a totally different style, I guess. I think that was probably because, um, you know, Fenrir is writing a lot more of the music. I think maybe with Zephyrus on guitar, his style was probably a bit different. And I guess it was more in the formative years of Norwegian black metal when this came <laughs> out as well. Yeah, so well – I think too, like Fenner's just had this vision of that kind of sound, you know, and he just went with it for Transylvania Hunger from what he said. Like, mm. he started hearing this melody in his head and he started going for it. And the, the feeling that I had, you know, it just kind of came out of him. And um, I know that for him, he prefers like Under Funeral Moon style too. Yeah. Transylvania Hunger, but. What he calls the finger moving riffs on those videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the probably so my favorite song on this album is the last song crossing the triangle of flames for me mm. like this has always been my favorite song um like i just really love the well and on my radio show i play it every week i play it right after return of darkness and evil yep and um it just goes so perfectly like it's literally the same type of tempo which is like not a, like a real tempo like it's like a, a computer can't even tell you what tempo it is because it's not really ever you know what i mean like it's so like it's just like, yeah i think the like return of darkness and evil is a bit sloppier than this yeah but it's the same type it's a very sim at a similar tempo like uh both the songs and um yeah it's very like that kind of human mid fast type of feeling and um there's something about this song is always is just like uh i just love this song and i love the the way that it ends in particular with like the bell sounds oh, that, and stuff like that ending is so magical. That ending, that ending is haunting. Yeah. And I love the, love the lyrics in this as well. Yeah. Now like, that, that ending with the slower riff when it comes in just, and then the bass comes in, the drums build in with the, the low toms and that. And then as it fades out, the, 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 chiming bells still there and it just sounds like it's got all this it sounds very powerful the actual bell and then when when it keeps going on it it's still loud but the music fades out it's got this whole sort of real sort of like swirling wind sort of i don't know it's got that weird yeah. like um effect where it goes Ooh, like with the bell like that yeah and the commentary i listened to fenders was like i don't even know how that happened like he's like we were running the this bell through all these effects. So it must have been just like a side effect of like the reverbs and stuff they were using, you know, and yeah. it created this like eerie sound, you know? Yeah. And I mean, obviously it was all analog back then too. So it was like, they had no idea how they did it, but that's, that's a bit of the magic in it too. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, the song is has a special place for me. Like, I love the last lines on the dragon rises before me. I'll fornicate the beast, possess me as I burn into your painted realm, you know? Mm. It's like that. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a really good final lyric for the album as well. And yeah. it almost, it's almost like the final lyric of that very occult style of lyric that they wrote on these albums, this album in particular and the one before. Because yeah. obviously that feeling sort of was lost after that. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because translating hunger as uh, the ripping the the lyrics when you translate them have um, I guess they're more similar to the in in Diapus Golgan's Favin song where it's more about like um, it's it's like a different type of thing going on, you know, like with the lyrics, you know, like a bit more of a landscape inspired. Yeah, a bit more Norwegian landscape inspired, like along with that kind of, I guess, like you have that kind of vampiric feeling to it as well. Yeah. Have you ever been to Norway? Yeah, I've been been to Norway uh, like a long time ago. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. The um, and uh, yeah, like that's the thing. Like translating hunger has a very special atmosphere. It's kind of vampiric, but cold. So it's like a weird thing because there's like kind of vampiric quality to it, but then it's also very much like a dark winter forest album at the same time. You know what I mean? It's good. <laughs> So it's yeah. a, it's a different it's a whole different type of type of energy for me. Um, there's definitely things that connect this this album and and Transmian Hunger like certain elements to them, you know. But um, it's definitely a different type of feeling and different type of atmosphere, you know. Like, like I don't I don't know like I don't like they're different moods for me almost almost entirely between the two albums, you know. Yeah, and there was a fair time between the two releases as well because I think by the time Transylvania and Hunger had come out, um, that was, I think, around April, oh, sorry, August, September, 94, we got it in Australia and we'd already had some... Like that, 94 was an insane year for releases. Yeah. Like it was just instant classic after instant classic. You know, you had Dean Mysterious, Dom Satanus come out. You had Viking League of Valdi. You had Frost. Two great albums in one year. You had the Shadow Throne. You had in the uh, in the Nightside Eclipse. In the Nightside Eclipse, you had Hevis Lyset Taros. You had, you know, Transylvanian Hunger. You, you know, all these albums came out in the space of about five or six months, and it was like, when does it end? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't uh, Somberlane come out that year too? I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, the more you think, the more, like, yeah, there was a lot of, you know, and then sort of a bit more second-tier bands that still had really good albums that came out at that time. Like, I really like the Hades album that came out at that time. Uh, yeah, was, the, was it? Uh, Again the, Shall Be. That was a pretty be, good yeah. album. It's a really good album, yeah. Yeah, I really like Hades. I think uh, Berg Tat from uh, Over came out oh. that year. Yeah, that, that that's brilliant. Love that. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of great stuff, and I mean, if you're wide in a reach, it's probably you know, I'm sure. I think forget to it. Yeah, there's a lot of great albums that came out in '94. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a big year for albums. So I think like Transylvanian Hunger sort of got a little bit lost in the quality of albums that came out at the time, whereas the previous two albums they were kind of like standalone albums, and they were kind of like more time stamps for me personally when they came out i can remember more of, of what i was doing in my life but it sort of transylvania and hunger got mixed in with a lot of other stuff so it didn't quite have the same impact but in hindsight it's a brilliant album as well i mean i love it as much as anyone else yeah yeah i, mean, I like Transylvania a lot i mean i it's funny though i think i liked it more when i was younger than i do now um <laughs> Like I really liked like I like the minimalism. Oh, I still do. Yeah. I like that as like one beat basically throughout. And it is trancier. And, it has got a more trancier 
even though it's more melodic, it has got a trancey sort of feel to it. Yeah. I think that um that I think that um yeah, I mean particularly when I was like eighteen or something, like I really like you know, I had my times where and I've had my times only where I've tried I've you know, there's a certain type of mood I get into sometimes where that's like the perfect thing. It's a cold, melancholic type of atmosphere, you know, that, that has. And um and I've tried right. to, you know, recreate that here and there in my in my in my time, you know what I mean? Like uh um or doing something like how clandestine blaze does where, you know, you do, or even Judas Iscariot does to a certain degree where you do like, uh, you know, one song like that and then follow the Panzerfaust model where you do a slow song and then a fast song, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, break uh, it up a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so it's, all, it's definitely there. I, I think over the past like three or four years, I, I, in particular, I think I've kind of shifted where I've gotten a little weary of, those types of melodic riffs that's on Transmian Hunger, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and kind of gravitated, it's not even just the past three or four years, but for really like, even since back when I did the Verkolka stuff in like 2013 or 2012 or whatever, like I kind of just kind of shifted where, I don't know, like I kind of like started gravitating more to, I guess, more old school and aggressive stuff and more ugly stuff and primitive stuff than, and kind of like shying away from, from those types of melodies. I think it might just be because there's too many bands doing, ripping that sound off where it gets, a, yeah. it got a little tired of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think it's good to have a bit of a combination. It's nice to include some of those riffs where they fit in, but I don't think it's good to just stick with one complete style. I, I guess my thought process is, you know, like, um, uh, you know, we got, we got dark. We got trans. Dark Zone did Transmian Hunger, you know, and I, mm-hmm. you know, there's a handful of bands that have kind of done that style in a good way that I like. And but um, you know, I guess like I feel like I guess as time went on, I kind of shifted where I'm more where I'm like I think I'm more inspired by Under a Funeral Moon as years go by than, than yeah. I'd, play, hard, I'd have to know? play the same personally. Because even like early Death Spell Omega, you can really hear a Transylvanian hunger influence. Um, I think that um, split they did with Clandestine Blaze, those yeah. riffs are very, very uh, Transylvania hunger influenced, I think. And that's probably some of my favourite Death Spell Omega stuff, to be honest. Yeah, my my favourite Death Spell Decimal Omega uh, era is from Inquisitors of Satan, um, mm. And then you have the manifestations compilations yep. that have all their split stuff, and then uh, see monumentum. Yeah, and Ken- see monumentum and, and Kenos. Like that era up to Kenos is my favorite era of Deathspell. Yeah. Like after that, they change their sound. Like with like uh, with um, what's the album after Kenos? It was um, uh, the the whatever the the. The one that got like completely just like dissonant, like you know what but I mean. It's fast, fast, something, yeah. something, yeah, yeah, fast, yeah. And I don't mind that, you know. I don't, I, I, I kind of like that sound too when I'm in the mood, but it's not my favorite DSO. My favorite yeah. DSO is, yeah. is everything up to Kendos, and then everything yeah. after that is is it's okay, but it's not my favorite. Yeah, you know I mean? Heraclitus is really cool too, but they're they're kind of a different. That's a completely different. They metamorphed into something completely different again. I think they just took their style to the next level with those kind of albums. 
Yeah, but I, I guess like my, yeah, for me, I just really love that early era of Inquisitor Satan, the manifestations, and and then yeah. you know, and then see Monumentum because it just like like it's 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 still black metal, you know, it's still like metal, black metal, and, and yeah, it has those types of really cold, like sinister melodic riffs and. You know, it's a cool sound. You know, like I would like to hear more bands kind of taking from Manifestations era DSO than I'd rather hear more bands doing stuff like that than uh, continuing to rip off para, Paraclesis. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's been hard to kind of yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't even know why people would even try to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many bands nowadays who seem to just want to rip off Foss and Paracelsus from from Despel Omega, and they don't even bother with the earlier stuff it seems like you know what i mean yeah but i mean it's one thing to sort of try and copy them musically but then lyrically and concept wise and everything like they went a lot further than people can really comprehend as well yeah exactly yeah like the concept and everything yeah yeah that's definitely like, yeah like uh yeah like they, they take it in a way that's great but then you can have like some band trying to copy it and it just seems like pathetic, you know what I mean? Or like, like poser-ish, you know what I mean? Yeah, especially if it hasn't got the sophistication behind it. There's a lot of thought that's been put into those lyrics, the imagery, everything they've done has been very um, very well put together and it's been very well thought out, very well researched and things like that. They haven't just thrown it all together and hoped for the best. It's been a very focused um, style that they've, they've developed yeah yeah they're definitely very uh very focused and intelligent people you know what i mean like yeah, they, yeah. That, that that episode that um that interview that he that they did in uh bardo methodology a couple of years ago was took about four or five times to read it just to really let it all sink in it was did you read that one yeah i have that the the printed version of it yeah yeah, it's very, uh, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, his other interview he did a while back before that was pretty intense too. And yeah, yeah. I like, yeah. They really focus on the metaphysical, esoteric side of things. It's not like his interviews just about, yeah, we rehearse three times a week and this is the gear we use. Uh, no, there's a lot, they're a lot more in depth. And I appreciate that. Give yeah. the music more you know you can tell it's coming from the right place yeah i prefer when a band's like very like for real about their spirituality their philosophy their ideology that they're putting into it you know like yeah. the music uh, you know, the, the lyrics don't uh, can be like sometimes like symbolic like they don't have to be necessarily like you know because like a lot of our lyrics sometimes we we take extreme you know like ex you take it extremes, like, you know, like say on the Underfield Moon, like this album, you have these lyrics where it's like, you know, or, you know, raped and raped again, all that stuff. It's, it's like symbolic of something else. They're not actually like talking about raping somebody, you know what I mean? Like, but it's like, no, it's that's right. Like, it's like this it's kind a of metaphorical term used for, um, they're just blaspheming, basically. Yeah. It's like an extreme type of symbolic, you know, yeah. And um, it's the extreme ex exaltation of blasphemy. It's just they just wanted to get the point across. It wasn't enough to say it once, but again and again, it was just yeah. a pure fist in the face of God, I guess. Exactly. Like, 
but the thing is it's coming from like a real place where it's like yeah these they really like are in this mode they're like chan channeling this energy you know and that's how black metal should be coming from is from this kind of this kind of realness you know what i mean and I, even though i think to a certain degree obviously i'm not sure how they feel about it, these subjects in this day and age the members of dark drain but i think at the time these albums were released i'm you know fairly confident that the lyrics were coming from the right place at the time i think feel they really felt what they were delivering at the time so i think that's a positive thing too exactly yeah you know like you know people do shift you know like obviously you know dark throne even when they were still doing black metal they you know what they were doing shifted you know just fine like but they're still serious about black metal as a whole you know what i mean like and, yeah. you know, i i do appreciate the fact that they they're just for real and when they didn't want to be kind of stuck doing black metal in of itself anymore they just went off and did something else you know like at least they're honest about that you know like i i don't really like the stuff after the cold is alive very much you know like basically from the cold is alive up to uh, underground resistance i don't really like very much like at all i don't like that era like there's like maybe a couple of songs that i like uh i did really like arctic thunder um i thought that was like a return to form in a lot of ways like where it almost sounded Actually, like black metal i didn't mind old star i liked old star yeah. old star was another that was a good album too like old star and arctic thunder mm -hmm. were like i felt like a return to form where i was like i really like mm -hmm. this it's got more of a dark dark drone feeling it's not really the satanic side of dark drone, but you know it's still more like the later black metal era dark throne feeling you know what i mean I guess yeah right yeah more misanthropic totally. you know i really like those two albums a lot but then yeah. the last two have been horrible fortunately yeah the what was the last one the very last one that came out was that the the one with the ice skating guy on the front yeah i forget what it's called uh -huh. Yeah, no. yeah, I kind of couldn't take that seriously, to be honest. Well, he's like ice skating on the cover. I think an even worse part of uh, Astral Fortress. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. It, it's even worse because he's got a Panzerfaust hoodie on. You're like, so it's mm. like, you're like, and but this album was uh, like still better than Eternal Hails. Like Eternal Hails was, like Astral Fortress was, was at least a step up from Eternal Hails because that album was like that one was boring as batshit. That yeah, Eternal Hails, I call it Eternal Fails. Like it was like <laughs> it sounds horrible. It's boring. Yeah, it's like I kind of felt like if it had been released by anyone else, it would have been completely ignored. But people only liked it because it was Dark Throne. Yeah, I, I definitely think so, and I think that yeah particularly after old star and then it's also really confusing to me because old star was recorded like in their own studio no it sounds amazing like the sound on old star is like fucking incredible yeah there's some really and, good songs on that i enjoyed yeah. that yeah and then you so you go from old star which sounds great mm. it has some songs like yeah i muffle your inner choir and stuff that has like some of that old black metal feeling and then you get yeah, into uh Eternal Hails, and they recorded it in a studio, and somehow it sounds like god awful. Like it's probably it the worst, it's the worst sounding Dark Throne album, hands down. Like it, 
Because yeah. generally in the past, even when they're more raw, it always works. Like that's one thing I can never, even on the Dark Throne stuff that I hate, like, you know, even on like fucking fuck off and die or circled wagons or something that I think is horrible. Yep. Like they, the sound is still good. I still always like their production. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why they, why it's like they go to a studio and suddenly their production is just weak and lackluster and just horrible, you know? It was just an extremely boring album, too. It just had no real life to it. No, yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that album. Oh, shit. Hey, are you still there? Yeah, I'm all good. Okay. Okay, I like, knocked the shit over. Uh, the, um, the other pro yeah it just didn't have any life to it at all like the the production had no life to it like it was lifeless production lifeless songs like i remember listening to it and being like finding it very very almost almost impossible to actually listen to the whole album from beginning to end because i would just get so yeah, I bored think, i think i was still working night shift when it came out and i tried to listen to it on the way home because we used to finish at four in the morning and i I got about 15 minutes through it, and I just like, I cannot listen to this anymore. Yeah. Like, the problem, too, is that there would be, like, maybe a riff here and there that I thought was good, and then, but then most of the song, like, I'd start, my attention would start wandering off, and I'd be like, is this song still going? God. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. I was not and a fan. Now, but the. I have to say. What are you say? I have to say that the Under the Funeral Moon album has left a very lasting legacy. I mean, part of me always, I don't know, this is probably going to be pretty controversial to say, but <laughs> there's been a lot of bands that have let me down over the years, and I always said that all bands should only be allowed to release four albums and then they need to split up. <laughs> imagine if Dark Throne had, or imagine if Metallica had done that, <laughs> but imagine if Dark Throne had only released those four albums, you know? Yeah, I think they'd be held in higher, higher stead than what they are today. Yeah, but I mean, I like the the later '90s Dark Throne as well. Yeah, I, I think like for me, I would have been happy if they broke up after Sardonic Wrath because that would have been a good like if they changed their name or something. I think that would have been a a good move, you know. Like once they didn't want to make black metal anymore, they should have changed their name, you know. Yeah, that's right. I mean, everyone changes. Oh, well, I mean, some people change, and if they want to explore different influences and try new things, I guess, you know, why ruin a legacy? I yeah. mean, I, I guess they haven't ruined it, but, I mean, you know, when it, most people that are listening to black metal aren't just casual fans. It's a lifestyle to them. So I guess they treat certain albums that they hold with, you know, they highly revere, and then when a band sort of, changes their style completely because some of the stuff they did later on, like the vocals, they almost sound like they're taking the piss really, don't they? Yeah. I think, yeah. It's... Well, there's a comical element to them almost. Yeah. I think my problem was, you know, and I'm sure it was even worse for you, like since you listened to it since the early nineties, but yeah, you know, like I'm getting the black them, you know, around a time of what hate them or whatever. Right. Mm. And like, at that time, for those that album, Satan and Grath, like, well, you know, Dark Throne were still like the one of those bands, like, you know, maybe Suter and Urgall and stuff that was like keeping black metal real, 
you know, in Norway, you know yeah. what I mean? Like they were like the standard bearers for black metal in a lot of ways, you know, like, and, yeah. but and, they, then that, the new, yeah. and they, they had their, like, they had this kind of, this kind of quality to them. Right. And they were, you know, like still taking it seriously, like what black metal should be. And then for when the, I remember when the cult is alive came out, it felt like, you know, I mean, that album is still at least a bit more black metal with the later stuff, but it was just like, all of a sudden you have a song like Graveyard Slut and stuff where I'm just like, mm. what the fuck is this? Like, you know, like this isn't Dark Throne that, that I know that this isn't the Dark Throne that's for all the evil and man. You know what I mean? Like that they're, they're yeah. saying that this is like, yeah. what the fuck is this? You know, like, like they're just fucking joking. And, you know, it's like this whole different thing. It's probably and, a bit of that venom attitude, you know, like, yeah, because I guess Venom sort of had Teacher's Pet and songs like that. Even though they had, you know. And I hated that about Venom personally. Like, that's why mm. I like Bathory, because Bathory, like, fucking was more serious, you know? Like, Venom yeah. has some, I like, Venom has songs that I like, you know? But, you know, they also have, yeah, stupid songs like Teacher's Pet that just kind of ruin the atmosphere of the other songs. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. uh, yeah, I don't know. I just felt, I remember feeling very, like, kind of, like, conf- like I don't know, like, kind of, like, weirded out by when the cold was live. I didn't like it very much. I still don't. Don't like the, mm-hmm. don't, you know, and, and then it was even worse when Fuck Off and Die came out. And I basically, like, I don't know. In my head, I just kind of was, like, uh, like, you know, I, and a part of me still kind of feels like this, where I kind of separated them now, like, where... In my head, Dark Throne broke up after Sardonic Wrath, and this is like some other thing, you know what I mean? Because it's just like, yeah, there was like a continuity to what they did before that kind of got broken with The Cold is Alive, and you know, like it just felt like, yeah, these guys who were like always going on about true black metal and stuff have basically just like are, you know, they're not black metal anymore, you know what I mean? That's fine, you know, people change, but you know, at the same time, it's like, I find it confusing when I see people still calling newer dark throne black metal. I'm like, they're not black metal anymore. They haven't been black metal for like almost 20 years now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, when those later albums started to be released, the Nidoros and black metal scene in Norway had well and truly started to, you know, some of the releases from that era leave any of that new dark throne, even stuff like hate them and that they leave all that stuff for dead, to be honest. Yeah, like, I mean, once you get to uh, to Celestial Bloodshed and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, like, well, you had stuff like that coming out. I mean, you didn't really need to worry about later Dark Throne when you had this other brilliant music coming out. So I think they obviously took the bull by the horns and forged on ahead. And... It's interesting, too, because it is literally like, you know, Sardonic Wrath came out in 2006, right? And then literally like mm-hmm. two years later, Celestial Bloodshed and Chaos Ritual and all those things really, you know, it's like Dark Throne left the game but you know luckily you had like Nidorosian scene like taking it up and I guess like also like um you know the Nidorosian scene is more connected to the earlier stuff anyways you know yeah yeah so, well because you look at pictures of Steingrim and it immediately makes you think of dead yeah exactly but yeah. I don't see it wasn't like he was ripping him off either but I just get the same feeling yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, yeah I remember when uh, the Celestial Bloodshed album came out. Yeah. 
he definitely looks like dead to me on the cover. And I mean, you know, I love that that stuff and the uh, interesting scene like really brought back that that energy from the earlier earlier days from the 90s in a lot of ways dangerous time of black metal when it was in the early 90s for norway yeah yeah i brought that feeling back and at the same time you also had the rise of the uh orthodox scenes and you know sweden yeah all that kind of stuff and uh, let's not forget finland you know there's a shitload going on over there yeah and even even in um even in norway itself you still have bands like Urkhal and Suter mm. that were from the '90s that were still making real black metal. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, yeah. which I always think is funny with uh, when you look at a band like that where they're just like, you know, like Vanek Suter just keeps on trucking, making fucking killer albums, and it's just like making black metal. You know, and they're not they're not going anywhere, not changing. You know, they've always been doing what they do. You know what I mean? Where yeah, like. Uh, Dark Throne always held up as this kind of stalwart band in that, that period of time, but you know, Dark Throne's definitely turned their back on black metal at this point. You know what I mean? They have, yeah, they have. I mean, yeah. it sounded like they did early on. To be honest, like I think, like like we stated before in the video, Fenris was still part of the scene, but the other two members had completely got away from the scene. By ninety two, ninety three, they'd had enough of it. Yeah, they didn't really like the. Uh, but then the I also think, yeah. yeah. But then I also think that maybe that's even partly even more black metal. Just like you know, fuck the fuck these people. Yeah, North, exactly. You know? No, <laughs> I, I I agree. I do agree with you there too. No, I, yeah. I do agree. But but I definitely only do always have had the feeling with with uh, with uh, Dark Throne that the the height of Dark Throne will always be under Funeral Moon because that is the truest era of. Uh, Dark Throne as a black metal band. What I consider to be the truest form of black metal, like in terms of the uh, atmosphere, the energy, the spirituality, the the music, the production, everything. The sound, the artwork, the lyrics, it it all all goes hand in hand. Exactly. You know, Underfield Moon is one of those albums up there with Demysterious, Sam Sathanas, and, you know, uh, Old Bathory, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, this kinds of these kinds of albums that that just kind of really uh, define for me what black metal should be. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Same for me, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. If I had to go through my top ten of all times, it would certainly be in the top three. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did a top black metal um, albums uh, um, episode with one of my friends uh, mm-hmm. coming out later. We come out later this month, which will be will already have been out by the time this this episode comes out, so people can listen to that. But uh, yeah, yeah cool. this album this album is uh is number uh, number three in my in my top list. Or no, number I forget. Is it? It's either number two or three because uh, Demon Stereo Thomas Satanas is my number one. Yep, and I think uh, my my top five is Demon Stereo Thomas Satanas, Under Funeral Moon, Return of Darkness and Evil. Satanic Rites by Hellhammer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, the, even though it's not actually a full album, but the uh, Vaughn Satanic Blood Angel compilation with their two demos. Yeah, cool. My number five. <laughs> so, 
So that that should tell everybody everything about what I what like what's my height of black metal for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Demon Mysterious is a, another great album too. It was very unique when it came out, I guess mainly because it sort of uh, threw a lot of people off with the different vocal style, but I loved it from the get-go, to be honest. Yeah, well, maybe uh, maybe we should do that do that one like next, like we should do a Demon Mysterious Tom Satanas episode. Yeah, no, definitely because, you know, yeah. And next, I do next, remember when... Next year that's going to be turning 30, so... Lock it in. Yeah, we should do we should we should do an episode about that one. Yeah, that'd be great because there's a, there's a lot we can talk about for that album. Yeah, we can totally do the same thing we're doing now for that album. <laughs> yeah, cool. That'd be awesome. What were you gonna say about it though? Oh no, there's just a yeah, there's a lot of stories we can talk about, and you know the circumstances around the album itself. Um, even the fact that Snorri uh, had a pretty big influence on the album, but I don't. I'm still. Confused? Did he actually play on the album, or was it only Euronymous that played on the album? From what I understand, I think Euronymous played on the album. I don't think yeah, Snorri. I don't think Snorri played on the album, but but there are riffs from Snorri Rook on the on the album because yeah. he had joined Mayhem around the time that uh, that they were recording it. I think so. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yeah, but I don't think he played on it. I mean. Uh, not 100% sure because, yeah, he's definitely like some of the riffs on the album were Snorri's out riffs, though. Like, yeah, 100%. I've always been a little bit, been a, always been a bit confused about that, but yeah, yeah, I know that I know I'd have to re listen to some interviews of Snorri and, and remind myself, but I think, uh, uh, I know for a fact that, um, that's a few of the riffs on the album are his riffs, so like, uh, that that you know, he let Euronymous use. Oh, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Because he's obviously been very influential in the um, the sound, the guitar, the guitar style of Norwegian black metal. He's pretty much the guy who sort of came up with this new style, this new melodic style of trem picking multiple strings at once and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, anytime you hear <clears throat> bands using, like, the, uh, the bar chord melodic, uh, bar chord minor, you know, um, things like, you know, like all of those or- orthodox bands. Mm. Anytime you hear any of that, that's all straight from Thorns because he came up with that on air. Yeah. Ascends and yeah, that became like the, oh, I uh, mean, the thing. I still use those chords. Like we use those quite a bit when I um, played an inverted profit back in the 90s. Um, we used to like trem pick the five strings for those, you know. It was made made for um, some serious arm cramping, but even in Gravia, some of our newer songs have got similar chords and stuff now, and they're played the same, similar way to how I used to play back in the nineties too. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll sneak those kinds of chords in quite purposely to kind of be a nod to you know all that kind of stuff because I mean I I do listen a lot to uh, that kind of orthodox black metal as well, you know. Yeah, you know, they can give you a very vast sound. Yeah, yeah, it's a particular type of sound, and I kind of uh, some of the new songs I've been working on, kind of, and some of my old songs I wrote, I kind of mash together uh, a little bit the underfeeling and primitiveness, and then you'll I'll throw in some of these kind of you know those kinds of orthodox chord stuff 
into it as well. Yeah, I like, kind of like that mix, that kind of mixture. It's it works really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it does too. Yeah, um, yeah. See, I probably have to start closing out because, uh, but because uh, it's a uh, it's late at night here, getting to be late. The, um, Sunday afternoon for me. I might jump on the bike and go for a quick blast. Yeah. The um, yeah, it's been great talking. I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed. It's a really cool uh, way of running. I really enjoyed talking about this album and walk, you know, walking through all the songs and everything. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it only makes me want to listen to it again. To be honest. Yeah, I only listen listened to this album like uh, fucking a bunch of times for this episode. <laughs> yeah, I listened to it a fair bit, like driving to work and whatnot, just leading up to it, just to get ready to discuss it and everything like that. Not that I needed to remind myself of how good it was just to get back into the zone and get ready to talk about it. Yeah, particularly trying to remember like the parts of the different songs and listen to the the the, the commentary track that Penners did and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, but yeah, but I could, I can really put it on right now and listen to it all the way through and be happy, you know, that's, that's that kind of album for me. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah, I love those albums that you can never get tired of. This is one of them. Demasterious, another one. You know, like these are all albums that. Yeah. What What would be your top three Black Metal albums? It would probably have to be Under a Funeral Moon, Under the Sign of the Black Mark, and then the third one. I'd probably say Philosophum. Okay, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah, because that was yeah again that was another album that was like totally different again as well. I mean, I like Havis Slice at Taros almost as much as Philosophum. But, yeah, I'd say that would probably be my top three. Yeah, my favourite favorite Burzum album is probably is actually Death on Mangangvar. Yeah, I love but, that too. It's hard to really split them up. But I think Philosophum for me was just – I really liked the trancyness of it. I liked the length of it. Yeah, it was just something completely different when it came out. Yeah, that's a great album. Yeah. My favorite back in the day used to always be Havis Lysa Taros. That was like 100% my mm. favorite Dark version album for, for a long time. But uh, over the years, it's shifted to Detsam and Gangvar because of um, the darkness of that album. It's, you know, it's very. Well, I still love Yeah. It's very dark and has like the dark ambient sections and this is kind of yeah. like a little bit more that evil feeling you know what i mean like that that i tend to gravitate towards but um i also i mean i love all of them philosophy is a great album too like yeah yeah that's also like uh it's one of those albums i listen to when i like want to go hiking or something or you go to sleep or something it's a great album to sleep to exactly to yeah. Put on yeah. Bit, yeah yeah and it has a really good album to sleep to because you have like the more like and you have like the cool like um there's ones that are just like guitars and weird noises and like vocals. Like yeah. And then it goes into that long ambient piece that I, I like a lot. That reminds me of Apex Twins ambient stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's great. I, I'm usually well asleep by, I guess, the time of that song, but. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's part of the point, though. I mean, you know. Yeah. Var- Var- it's music to dream to. Yeah. Varg has always said that his music, particularly. Uh, Particularly once you get to this Lysitaros and Philosophem is designed to kind of put you into a trance essentially, you know, and then and then lead you into kind of 
sleep or some type of vision vision state mm. or something you know like so we you know kick off with getting that kind of you know emotion out like the kind of you know and then leading you down to some type of like uh other state you know what i mean yeah totally and i think he certainly succeeded in um putting forth those kind of atmospheres on those albums because they the the effects certainly there when you listen to them. I think um, Havis is a very trancey album, actually. Yeah, it's very trancey, particularly the second song. Uh, yeah. The song Havis Likes It Taros, which is like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's only one beat, you know, it's, it's all that kind mm-hmm. of, you know, blast beat. I really like that, you know, it's that real primitive. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, kind of like almost transferring hunger-ish, you know, but, uh, but a little bit different, like, and it just it really works really good. I love the first album too, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, when I got into Burzum, I went through them each album from to the next, you know. So I got the first yeah. Burzum album, was the first Burzum album I heard, and uh, yeah, every time I hear that that opening like like no, you know, at the front, I always yeah, it just always takes me back to uh, being you know whatever like seventeen and hearing that album, you know. That's exactly right. Because once I um, heard about him and everything, obviously through the Kerrang magazine, what we discussed that um, on the last episode that I was on, um, yeah, I, I immediately went and bought that album, and um, yeah, it still sounds, it still gives me the same feeling when I hear it today. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's a really cool dark, just particularly that one, and that's among Lung Varble have this real dark energy that is a little bit different mm. from the other albums. You know, like it's this kind of yeah. Probably because there's a progression. He's probably still more attached to the kind of, I guess, you know, satanic elements, you know, where yeah, when you get into this slice of Taros, it starts to shift a little bit, you know, and uh, Philosophem right. as well, you know, like they're still like all like connected, just still doing with darkness as a whole, you know, but I feel like uh, you start getting a little bit more elements of kind of the, uh, the Nordic elements t- coming in a little bit yeah. more, you know? Yeah, totally. And especially with the artwork and stuff as well. Yeah. You but I mean, even the Kittleson artwork on those two albums. and Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like this and Philosophem are more albums that I like to listen to, like Walking in the Forest, you know, and stuff. Like, mm. have that kind of feeling where, uh, you know, Bur- the self titled and Death Song and Gangvar have a bit more of this kind of dark, like, dungeon feeling, you know? They're your, they're your black metal albums. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, they're all still connected. I mean, obviously, like, you know, the song Dunkelheit is basically, was the very first Burzum song ever. So, and that's on the, the Philosophy album, you know. So the songs are kind of mixed mixed together. But um, I think it, it was good that he waited because the type of production they used for Philosophy works good for that song, where I don't think that, yeah. that production would have worked very, the, the production of like the first two albums wouldn't have sounded good with, uh, for that song, you know what I mean? Not at all. No, I think he did the right thing waiting to release that one on the album he did. One thing I always get a kick out of is um, there's a lot of bands that I'll hear that add a little, you know, like the, the kind of keyboard sounds that are particularly on Philosophem, like uh, yep. the kind of bell-like tones. Mm-hmm. Like where, you know, that I always get a kick out of like I'll hear bands where they very obviously doing a nod to Burzum. You know, like 
they'll yeah. use that, that same type of keyboard tone and a little bit similar type of riff like um yep uh uh moon sorrow on their album verasaki you know because that album has some parts on it that reference you know um uh d mysterious Tom satanus as well and on the same song that references d mysterious it also references uh philosophum like it has the same type of keyboard <laughs> and a drum beat you know and you can tell that's on purpose right and then those albums are like black and white what's that those albums are like black and white they're so totally different from one another but it's funny that they used inspiration from each album and put it into the one song yeah and it works really good actually you know yeah I mean, crazy Montaro are, you know, more like, you know, epic band, but that album has a lot of black metal on it, you know. And um yep. uh then another band would be uh Miss Thirming Thier- on their last album, Med Methahamri. Like, I enjoyed that. That was good. That was really yeah. good. And that has a few parts on it that have those that Burzum keyboard where you're like, Yep, I know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And then it's even funnier because Mayhem on their uh last album or last EP or whatever has a song that has those keyboards on it too. You're like, oh. Crazy. <laughs> well, I don't think too many of the current members have any issues with... Um, no, I don't think so. Anyway, yeah. I don't even think... The, the weird thing is, yeah, and I don't think uh, Necker Butcher or Hellhammer have any real, like, uh, you know, they don't seem to care too You know, like, they don't, they don't seem to hold it against Varg that much. No. No, I suppose some of the interviews I've read with Hellhammer sort of closer to that period of time, he sort of almost sounds like he was more on his side. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, a lot of people seem to forget, you know. Uranus was like a fucking, you know, a visionary and a great songwriter and, you know, like what he did with Demon Sturis is amazing and, you know, what he did to create this kind of black metal milieu and everything, but he himself seems like he might have been a little bit of a fucking asshole, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard to say. Like, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of young people have opinions and, oh, that guy sucks and this guy sucks. But, I mean, yeah, we, we only know what. Yeah. yeah, we only know what we've heard. We don't, we didn't know him. You know, like, I'm just going by, you know, some people liked him, yeah. some people didn't. You know, like, he seemed like, uh, you know, like, I feel like, uh, I, you know, I've always felt like with that situation is Euronymous just um, threatened the wrong person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the person who's that he 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 always I guess he always made death threats and stuff like this and then I think yeah he didn't take he, it very seriously but he just did it to the wrong person I think yeah. you're a hundred percent right yeah he took he just did it to the person who's like a lot more serious than he is in a lot of ways you know what I mean and uh, yeah and that's what I really think would happen I think Bard really thought that Uranus was going to try to kill him or something and that he just took it a little too far because he's an extreme person you know what I mean like. That's yep. what I think that's the beginning and end of it from everything I've heard. Yeah, there's been, you know, there's obviously every story and conspiracy theory out there, but I think in a nutshell, I think that's exactly the, that's exactly what I think too. Yeah, he just threatened the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of people who said as much, including including Hellhammer and, you know, um, uh, what's his name, Andrew, Anders, uh, Anders from, uh, you know, Cadaver said that, you yep. know, like, a bunch of other people who really knew those guys yeah. were friends with them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really hear too much from Metallian about it. No, I haven't really heard Metallian say anything. Yeah. But yeah, like from a lot of these guys who were there, who were friends with them, 
both or, or or we're friends with them both but it just seems like and as you know you have people like uh Enris who you know i mean he let varg write the lyrics to translate hunger when varg was in jail you know what i mean like you know it's pretty uh yeah it's interesting you know like you know it, the other thing too that people seem to forget is that blackman was not about crying about stuff you know what i mean like uh all these guys are like, oh, well, your office is dead. Yeah, it sucks, but um, we're not going to cry about it. You know what I mean? It's black metal. You know, like, it's part, mm -hmm. of, part, of, part of the milieu is, like, sometimes people might die. You know what I mean? Like, if that's how it was, you know? <laughs> that was the, the extreme image that we're trying to portray. Yeah, and it's just, like, it is an extreme genre. It's an extreme lifestyle, mm -hmm. and, you know, sometimes stuff happens. Like, There's and, an old saying. Yeah, there's an old saying. He who eats with the devil needs a long spoon. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that that if you try to humanize this genre too much, like it's just like you're just yeah. watering it down. Like just like there's a lot of people who come into the genre nowadays who don't understand this kind of stuff and they don't get it and they just shouldn't be in yeah. it, you know. Yeah. Yep. Nah, they've they've just wired differently and they can't comprehend when this stuff was originally created thirty odd years ago. Um, the world was a different place. Yeah, and it was not about being a being a a nice uh, welcoming environment for everybody in the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Euronymous lived by the sword and died by the sword. I guess you could say because I guess you know when when um, you know the circumstances around the passing of Palais or dead. You know he was pretty extreme when he took the photographs and everything like that and all those things. So for him to you know, get murdered a couple of years later it seemed quite fitting for the image he was trying to portray. So I guess that's why, you know, a lot of the people involved in the scene at the time reacted the way they did, which was without too much, you know, of a care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the people who are real good friends with him are affected more, but, you know, like, mm. uh yeah, but it's also just part of how it is, and a lot of these guys didn't seem to hold it against Varg too much, you know. So yeah, ex you know, yeah. You, you did you did have your stuff like that uh, Nordic metal compilation. Yep, for example, like um, which had like the anti Varg stuff on it, but whatever, you know, it's still a good compilation. Yeah, I mean, I got a lot of fires back in the back in the days. You know, there was anti anti-Varg fires, there was anti-Euronymous fires, there was pro-Varg, there was all these fires getting around. Yeah, it was yeah. all very... Yeah. They're very silly, you know, in a lot of ways, because it's like, yeah, they're both important parts of black metal, and just accept that fact, you know, like... Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like... Um, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, yeah, Varg, like, Euronymous, so, like, we can't... Euronymous was was probably the most important person though he was the guy who masterminded everything like varg wouldn't be who he was without Euronymous. you know what i mean so there is that yeah and a lot of the bands that became black metal bands wouldn't have done that either yeah he he, he was like he had a vision and that's the other thing with with Euronymous is he had this vision since the 80s of what black metal should be and it, he developed it and you know like and tried to live by it and you know like a big part of that was the extremity, you know, so. Yeah, now it's become a long, long-standing genre, like 30 years later, like he's been dead for 30 years now. So I think it was the anniversary of his death on 
August the 10th, so it was 30 years. I mean, 30 years later, people are still talking about it, so he obviously made a big impact with what he's created or helped create anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like, you know, like that, that, that lives on. And, you know, as long as people are making music and listening to black metal, it's going to keep living on. Yeah. Well, it's already gone into, you know, it's already become a generational thing now, you know? Yeah. I feel like that. Yeah. I just hope that the, the younger generations who are getting into it, keep, uh, you know, keep understanding what it's all about because I feel like, um, Like my, like, uh, yeah, I feel like even with in my generation, there was people who came in who uh, didn't quite understand it. You know what I mean? Like, but, but I feel mm-hmm. like we, more of us did than, than now necessarily because it wasn't as big of a thing back then, you know, it was still pretty underground, you know what I mean? Like, you still had to be a particular kind of person to really get into black metal, you know? Yeah, it was a lot harder. I guess without the internet, I mean, you had to rely on magazines and, um, you know, fanzines and getting information. It was a lot harder to get any information. I guess today information's like at everyone's fingertips, so it's a lot easier to find things. It's a lot easier to, you know, get the history on things and, you know, you can pretty much get – there's too much information out there about it really. So it's a completely different time. Yeah. Yeah, it's good and bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's good and bad to it, you know, but – you know, it is what it is. I, I mean, I've always been fascinated by this era. I mean, and uh, try to learn as much as I can, you know, like, and, and yeah, hopefully that tricky talking about this era, like, you know, it's something I'm passionate about us and, you know, listen to like podcasts with people, read all, all the things you can read about it and, you know, like try to piece it all together as much as possible. So. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it was a formative time of my life when I grew up and all this stuff was happening because I was only like, um, so in 93, so 30 years ago, I was 16. So yeah, like that was, that's the age where you're at your most sort of, where the things you're into sort of, you know, dictate what you're into for the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's up to you. Generally, stuff you grow up with in that age, you stay with, you know? Yeah, totally. It's like formative formative stuff. <laughs> yeah, very formative. But uh, I guess I need to close out. The uh, Yeah, it's just been like amazing. Do- great, great episode. I've been really enjoying talking to you about all this stuff. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on again. I've really appreciated the time and it's been great to talk about you know, such an important album in both of our lives and it's good that we've got these things in common and it's always great to, um, you know, converse about them with someone that feels as equally passionate about it too. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking about the album with you and uh, all the uh, things we went off on about. It's great. Well, definitely, we'll, well, we need to do another one. We'll do Demon Stories, Dom Savannah's next. That'll be awesome. Fuck it in. We'll do it. Yeah, all right. We'll do that. But I uh, hope you have a good rest of your day, brother. No worries. Enjoy enjoy the rest of your night, and I'll talk to you soon. Perfect. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you later. No worries. Bye.